Welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your host. I am sitting here with my co-host, Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. And gang, it has been a while. Like a long while. Like, uh, you know, the amount while. of time that it has been since... You're right, it has been too long. The amount of time that it's been since uh, we recorded our last episode to now. You know, that's the kind of time that you can, uh, you can shoot an entire film in. Um, you can... Catch COVID in, yeah. um, you know, just throwing that out there is a completely random example that in no way reflects anything that may have happened to at least two co-hosts of the show. Allie, you want to tell people what the last few weeks have been like for you? Uh, so I got this amazing opportunity to be the lead in this horror movie, and I was so excited. It's called The Day Lacey Call. It'll be out in the fall, I think. Pretty sure. And... Uh, it's based on the novel The Day Satan Called by Bill Scott. You can buy it on Indigo or wherever Americans buy books. And... Can I ask a quick question before you continue? Yes. Are Satan and Lacey interchangeable? Uh, they're basically the same. Like, okay, Lacey is a person, sort of. It's hard to explain with this movie because, like, Lacey is the person who is possessed, but then Lacey's soul goes into my character's body. And then I spend the whole movie speaking, like she speaks through me and another demon speaks through me. And I'm also kind of possessed. So I play a, a lot of characters in one character. It was a lot of work. So wait, this is a, so Satan possesses a person who then possesses another person. Sort of. Yeah. This is like, a, this is amazing. This is, I've never heard of this before. This is like a possession <laughs> turducken. It's amazing. Horror, which is crazy to me. Like you should have <laughs> known about this. I, I did not, but Allie, there is so much crazy shit in this state. How am I supposed to keep up? That's true. It was from what, What's the book called again? The Day Satan Called by Bill Scott. Gotcha. But yes, I'm going to buy so it and read it. Literally, I was so excited. We did like one day on set. 
and then that night I tested positive for COVID and so did the director and so did like an AD and like we all then like the whole crew and cast had to quarantine for five days at the hotel or in their respective homes for the locals. And my God, like quarantining when you're in your own house, at least you're like, well, I have my own house. I can like cook food still or I can like watch all the movies I want. Quarantining in like a tiny ass hotel in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, where there is nothing going on. I watched like a whole two seasons of King of Queens because that's all that was on TV. <laughs> Be honest. Was that worse than the COVID? Ugh, it, oh, it kind of was. Like I used to, <laughs> I used to watch that show and being like, man, Kevin James is funny rewatching. I'm like, this show annoys the crap out of me. I kind of hate everyone. <laughs> you know, the best thing Kevin James ever did was he had a stand-up special that's actually really funny. What? But I feel like, yeah, like before he was sort of like Happy Madison, yeah, Kevin James. Before he was, he actually- had sort of a a unfiltered stand up special that I think aired on like HBO or maybe Comedy Central at the time. But it 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 was very much his humor, but his way, and it's really funny. And I always felt like, where's that guy? You know what happened to him? Because I never really see who he was it's a i'm sure you can find it i i used to watch it all i had it on dvd i thought it was so funny but like yeah he's a really funny guy i just think he gets put into unfunny roles if that Mm -hmm. makes sense but like i will give him a shout out because uh his non-funny roles becky was amazing and he was terrifying in it i haven't seen that yet (laughs) but i really wanted to see it Oh, Becky! Yeah, he's great in that movie. I love that yeah. movie. It's that so- movie was amazing. Paul, how about you? What have you been up to recently? Have you been uh, Have you been catching COVID recently, Paul? Uh, haven't caught COVID. Um, just you know, living life, man. Just living life. I, I, I uh, not much to report. <laughs> what if every day, like you're going into quarantine tomorrow. Just, uh, you know, yeah. hanging out with my wife and kids and having a good time. Can't complain. Always bragging about your wife and kids. Well, they're they're pretty great. They're they're the best part of my world. Oh, <laughs> I hope they listen to this. They won't. Both <laughs> <laughs> yeah. partners just don't listen to our podcast. Oh, dude, yeah, I don't think. Honest to God, I think my wife, out of all the, like, how many hours of podcasting have I probably done at this point? A lot. Uh, she's maybe listened to, like, and uh, like a portion of an episode. And this isn't, like, a slight on her. It's just she's not a movie person, you know? she She's not somebody who obsesses about those types of things. So it's just not her thing. But um, she supports it, and, and that's uh, all I can ask. That is strange that you bring that up, Allie and Paul, that, uh, you know, Allie, Chris doesn't listen to the podcast. Paul, your family doesn't listen to the podcast. It occurred to me that my last significant other of any considerable length actually started to listen to the podcast, and we broke up not long after. Now, (laughs) can we draw any line? Is there any sort of cause and effect to be uh, uh, taken away there? One wonders. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it was probably you know what she was probably out when she heard i didn't like curse of the werewolf she was like you know what i just i can do better 
I'll never, I'll never understand that take, but I respect it. Neither can she. I respect you. Uh, See, I didn't believe that from you or her, and I was right in at least one case. Um, wow. wow. <laughs> Thank you for putting me in that category. That's kind. Okay, uh, if if listeners weren't able to suss, off, suss out from my cough just then, and uh, they weren't able to do a little math based on the setup at the very beginning of this episode, if Allie had COVID and Paul didn't have COVID, and two hosts of this podcast have gotten COVID, I guess that means that I must have gotten COVID. In fact, have COVID right now as I record. That's uh, that's but, my dedication to this podcast, is that I will power through and rasp my way through a uh, a good cast for uh, for our listeners. Yeah, I uh, took a test today, found out that I have COVID, and, uh, you know, it sucks. You know, the... Uh, the the press it's gotten is uh, accurate. It's not not a fun time at all. But uh, but you know, I I I was fortunate enough to have gotten my vaccines, and uh, the the symptoms are pretty mild right now. So certainly people have had it far worse. And uh, you know, I don't want to make light of it at all. It's just uh, it's a weird thing to note that I finally got it after what two plus years of dodging it and getting the vaccine and everything, and finally. Here it is. So, uh, but nevertheless, I am going to try and make it through not only our upcoming commentary where we are going to have a super awesome surprise guest pop up and maybe two super awesome surprise guests. We'll see how that goes. Am I psychic? Who knows? Who can say? Um, but we also need to go ahead and get through our recent watches and I'll do my best to get through both. Now to do that, I'm going to go ahead and push the mic over to Allie. Allie. What have you seen recently you'd like to tell people about? Oh, man, what haven't I seen? Because I was in fucking quarantine. Um, no, the main thing I want to talk about is when we got done filming this movie, I went and saw my wonderful partner who took me out to see probably my new all-time favorite film because it was just such a joy. But I saw the unbearable weight of massive talent. And it was just so much fucking fun. And I did not see it going in the direction that it went, but I was so happy it went that way. And Pedro Pascal is like such a fucking treasure. And just Nicolas Cage leaning into himself being like a live action meme is like, <laughs> is so good. It um, just that he's the greatest actor and he deserves a podcast where we just watch all of his films and talk about them. <clears throat> <laughs> I, I'm so glad that you liked it. I, I saw it too. And uh, what's weird is the audience that I caught it with wasn't like me. I was howling in I the was back dying, of the auditorium. I thought people were going to get mad at me for laughing so hard. <laughs> and, but okay, was it the same with you where you were like laughing so hard and then you got self-conscious because nobody else was laughing as hard oh. as you were? Because No, because Chris was also like we were the couple who was just like we were in the VIP and like the reclining seats. So we're like so cozied up just like howling that is yeah that was my experience i was like but you know i got self-conscious about halfway through and then i was like you know what i'm just i i don't care you know if you all aren't going to come on the same ride that i am then you know <laughs> but the with you. Scene when they like spoiler alert take the drops <laughs> oh my god yes like, i couldn't breathe i was laughing so hard <laughs> i the when he plays and not to get too heavy into spoilers, Paul, I'm guessing you haven't seen it yet, but you really need to. Um, when he touches his forehead at oh a certain God, point. I literally cried. 
like the fact that he plays it so well because he does it and then you start cackling but nothing's happening and it's like okay maybe it was fine and then it's not fine and then it happens so hard i was crying crying laughing when he was like my legs are rubber like all of the, like Nick Cage isms of that movie that like have already they've been posted on the internet so those parts aren't like spoiled but when he's talking to that therapist being like why do you make so many movies Nick like come on I have to feed my family it's my job I'm an actor I'm like thank you thank you for finally saying it like he's he's making his all the he's his job he should be working all the time <laughs> yeah I, I, I haven't seen it yet I'm I'm dying to see it I'm I'm a huge uh, Nick Cage fan he's as you Nick all Cage know. Fan. And uh, yeah, that's high on my list. I I am pining for the day when it will show up on VOD. Oh, I will buy it and rent it as many times. Like it's gonna get so much of my money because it was just. Oh yeah, I'm gonna buy the. And it's like it's like an hour forty. Like it's a nice you know hundred minute film, and I am so here for it. I could have done honestly just like eight hours of him and Pedro Pascal just bonding with each other. It's so good. Um, I I love that it's a celebration of him, which he deserves. But also, you're right. It kind of like it's so weird that he it lets him off the hook in a weird way because you know it it, it doesn't feel like he's so like the movie is a celebration of him, but it doesn't feel like he's full of himself by participating in that because it equally takes the piss out of him a lot too. So there's a nice balance there. Um, I just, I loved it. The only actor who they could do this with. Yeah. Because he is the most, like, he goes hard with every role. And, like, he, he is a meme. Like, there are, like, what, like 150 memes that are just Nicolas Cage making faces. And the community did a whole episode on Nicolas Cage. Like, he's, like, <laughs> the only actor who I think could have such a meta role like this. That's such a good episode of Community, too. Always be caging. If if we do our Nicolas Cage podcast, we need to cover that episode of Community. Oh, we 1,000% do, because like we have to just show that whole clip of Odd losing his mind than being a sexy cat. <laughs> <laughs> Nicolas Cage, good or bad. <laughs> you have to watch five movies this week. Space them out. No marathons. <laughs> yeah, space them out. Oh. All right, Allie, no, what else have you seen see recently? Oh, sorry. Um, I, not a movie, but I feel like everyone should talk about it anyways, but I, the season three of Barry has come out, so I introduced my partner into watching Barry, and we plowed through the first two seasons, and I've also now been caught up on the third season, and like, ooh, Mark Paul Gosler's in it. The reveal of his yeah. name. And how they do it had me again crying. Like it it's so, so damn funny. Um, yeah, Barry Barry's incredible. Barry's an incredible show. If everyone out there isn't watching it, like do yourself a favor. And it's Bill Hader's best work. It's, honestly, I think it's Henry Winkler's best work too. Oh, hands down. Like how would you? Okay, so for Screamatics listeners out there who might you know not stray too terribly far from horror movies. Tell them why they need to give Barry a shot and why they would dig it, probably. So, Barry, who is played by Bill Hader, who I'm pretty sure created the show and directs a bunch of the episodes, uh, is a Marine. 
with sort of a dishonorable discharge kind of situation who, when he gets back to America, his family friend Fuchs, played by the amazing Stephen Root, turns him into an assassin who has no emotions. And while he goes to take out a hit, he follows his like his mark to an acting class and realizes that like that's his calling. He needs to stop being a hitman and start being an actor. And Henry <laughs> Winkler is his teacher. Mr. Uh, Mr. Cousineau. Uh, yeah. Gene Cousineau. I, I've not I've not ever seen this show at all, too, by the way. I'm the guy. I'm the one you're, you're pitching it to. <laughs> it's just and it starts off like the first season's like a dark comedy and the second season it's still comedy but it gets darker and third season you're like well it's still funny but it's like it's gone like 70 30 into darkness yeah it's i'm starting to feel like if they keep going like if that's the trajectory and it keeps it up like the next season it won't even have any comedy in it it's just gonna be depressing but i'm sure still brilliant but truly, but that, it's Bill Hader's best work. And his eyes are, like... I never noticed how expressive his eyes were until he did this role. And, like, it's incredible to watch him act. I love his uh, Vincent Price for Saturday Night Live. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I swear, I'm, I'm not making this up. I wish he would do, like... Obviously, he's sending Price up in those bits. But I kind of wish that he would do a uh, a Price biopic and play it straight. Uh, I think he would be amazing. Doesn't do- look much like him, but I think he would nail well, it. That's the thing. Like, his Price is fun because it's nothing like Price. It's mm-hmm. like it's like a, a weird caricature of Price mm-hmm. that I enjoy. But it but it's not Price. <laughs> It's no, 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 no. That's but, the thing. It's like he's. It is. Well, it's like you said. It's caricature. But I think within that, and knowing how good Hater is, and especially honestly, after seeing Barry and see how he can do, he can do broader comedy, but he can also do like straight laced drama. I think he could find within that, like, I think he could find a much more grounded price. I really do. Pure conjecture, but listen, I, I would be interested in seeing like a, it. A thousand percent. And also, the show really. For non-actors and non-people in, like, the business, it reflects it pretty well. Like, the acting classes, well, my acting classes weren't as weird as theirs are. We did do some of those weird movement exercises, so I was like, oh, my God, it's stupid watching someone else do them. But even just talking about how, like, he got offered, like, an audition with a director right away because he's six foot four. And, like, I have seen that happen to a bunch of dudes because they're tall. So they're like, hey, we need someone who, for poster Damn, reasons, I, I, is tall. I should have went into acting. I am six foot four. That's you could have gotten so much work, man. Ah, oh, damn it. Um, Too late. Shit. I fucked up. Do you guys listen to the Fly on the Wall podcast with Dana Carvey and David Spade? Oh, I don't, but I'm going to now because that sounds like a fucking... Uh, so it's amazing. I marathoned, like, they have probably, like, 15 episodes out. Uh, in the last, like, week and a half, I've listened to all of them. Uh, but they do an episode with Bill Hader. And they talk to him. They actually talk to him about his Vincent Price impression. And they talk about... Uh, so the podcast basically is about SNL. And they interview people who either worked on SNL or hosted SNL. And they just talk about their time there and what it's like. And then they go into their careers and stuff like that. And actually, now that 
Uh, you're talking about this. I'm recalling a ton of stuff about that episode that I didn't get at the time where they talk about the show. So he goes really deep into Barry and his, uh, like what he, like how he writes it and what his thought process is and where it came from and what, what he wants to do with it in the future. Like he talks a lot about Barry in that episode. So if you guys are into that show, I haven't watched it yet, but I was, I would recommend that episode because I think it would probably give some cool insight. It's called um, fly on the wall. It's called fly on the wall. It's an amazing podcast. It's probably one of my favorites now. Um, it's two oh. of my favorite comedians. I love, I mean, Dana Carvey is an all time great and I actually really like David Spade quite a lot. I like David and, Spade. Yeah. And hearing him talk in a podcast setting, not like specifically doing his comedy, just sort of talking as a person, like really illuminates like who he is. And I, I have a lot of respect for him and, um, and what he does. And I think he's much funnier than he often gets credit for. Uh, I think Joe Dirt is one of the great comedies. Oh, <laughs> I do. I truly do. I think Joe Dirt does not get the appreciation it deserves. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, great, great cast. And I am definitely going to check out Barry. Oh, you have to. You're going to love it. You're going to be hooked after one episode. That yeah, it is. Though. It is perfect. And plus, Paul, like it's it's they come in like these perfect bite sized chunks. Like the seasons aren't terribly long. They're thirty minute episodes. And eight you episodes could honestly, you could catch up probably moving through it all lazily in like a week. Yeah. I think. I think I yeah. And I I haven't been watching many shows. I I will talk about a show I just watched uh, that my wife is obsessed with. Um. And I really, really loved. Uh, and so that's kind of getting me more in the mood of watching TV sh- TV shows in general. Are you okay? You getting choked up? Uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> I was, I just had like a weird frog in my throat for a minute. I hope I'm, I'm not get tested. We all have get tested, Paul. <laughs> you might have caught it over the mic. No. It's possible. That's how it works I now. I don't want to catch it. I want to be healthy and not I don't sick. want that. <laughs> Please no. What was the show? But oh, am I is it I didn't think it was my yeah, turn yet. It's your turn now. I've done oh, I've okay. I talked right. about two things I wanted to talk about. Neither uh, the show that I watched is not horror. <laughs> so in keeping with this. Uh our flag means death. Uh the pirate show on hbo max uh that the pilot was directed by taika watiti uh and he ends up playing a main character on the show uh the show is peppered with hilarious people uh in various cameo roles and ongoing roles um but the the true standout of the show for me is rise darby who is truly one of the great unsung comedic actors. Um, he's in a bunch of stuff, but it's, he, yeah, I think this is like his first, I think this is his first like headlining role in a big project. Right. I, I mean, he was, he was a side character and I mean, fly of the Concord. Sure. He was one no, of the he had his sort own of three show. It was on like Netflix or something. Did he? Oh, okay. I'm going to look it up oh. because I know that Carl Urban was on an episode. Either way, it's it's great seeing him headline this show. And the show, have either of you guys watched it? Not yet. It's on my list. 
I have not. I'll watch it when um, you watch three. Okay. I yeah, that's fair. Um, I uh, it's it's hard because I don't want to go too deep into it because it kind of spoils it. But um, mm, okay, so it's about a guy based on a true story, by the way. Um, a wealthy sort of aristocrat uh, named named Steed Bonnet, who decided one day to give up, to abandon his family, give up all his wealth, and and set to sea with a life as a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> and Rice Darby plays that man, and he hires a crew, and he makes this really fancy, expensive ship that is completely impractical, and he wants to just be a pirate, and. So that's sort of the impetus of the show. But what the show actually is as it progresses is a uh, like a completely wonderful, beautiful, life affirming experience of a, of a thing that is hilarious and touching and moving and surprising and emotional i mean it it it's very it's a very fascinating thing i went into it expecting what we do in the shadows with pirates and that is not at all what the show is um and taika watiti does end up playing a main character i guess i can say he ends up playing blackbeard the pirate so he plays like the most famous pirate there is (laughs) That everyone's afraid of and reveres. <laughs> and where the show goes, <laughs> if you know nothing about it, and I would recommend not watching trailers, I would just watch this show. Where the show goes is surprising and beautiful and wonderful, and just it's being embraced by a lot of communities. Like the the LGBTQ community is really embracing the show because the show embraces in a, in a really wonderful way, every sort of, I don't know, like, it's just, it's completely, it it explores like love in all of its various capacities and, and in a way that doesn't like call attention to, you know, Oh, this is the gay character. You know, it's not that it's, it's just, these are these people and let's just explore what that means to them. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a a beautiful show. I mean, it, it's it's and then it's incredibly well written. It has a really interesting narrative. It just it completely caught me caught me off guard from what I thought it was going to be. So I I can't recommend it enough. Um, I I really I'm praying that it gets renewed for a second season. I can't imagine it wouldn't with the fan response that it's had, but it hasn't been renewed yet. Um, that's the only thing that would maybe hold me back from recommending it because you know it has a bit of a cliffhanger finale so if there isn't a second season that would be somewhat disappointing um however i would say that it it does handle its season arc fairly well and is satisfying in its own way um but you definitely are going to be left wanting more but yeah so so check it out it's 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 really really great Sold. I'll check it out. Uh, HBO Max. Yep, HBO Max, and and it's ten episodes, but they're half hour, so it's really easy Good. to watch. Like easy watch. Yeah, very easy, very quick. James, you have all the time in the world to watch all these shows now that you're quarantining. 
Uh, yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be catching up on a lot. I feel um, so. Maybe I'll start that tomorrow. Um, what am I watching? Um, it's, it's so weird because we have in the time that Allie has been gone, we've all been keeping up by uh, messaging one another through Instagram, and uh, it occurs to me that I don't know what we've talked about before on this show and what we've talked about recently there. So I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to be repeating something from uh you know i haven't been watching that much recently i've been writing like mad and uh work has been claiming a lot of time but um i did see morbius did we talk about that on this show or i talked about it but okay what are your thoughts on it we messaged about it uh yeah so look i am I'm a sucker for Marvel stuff, uh, especially when it's based on comics that I loved as a kid, like Morbius. Um, I really kind of dug what Sony was doing with their little adjunct, you know, uh, set aside Spider-Man universe where they're building up all of the rogues gallery with their own movies. Uh, And when I say I dig it, I guess I just mean I dig the two Venom movies uh, because that's all there's been up until this point. But uh Morbius was a character that I loved in the comics, and anytime you want to mix uh, horror and superheroes together, I mean, that's like peanut butter and uh, chocolate for me. And uh, so I I mean, I walked into that movie absolutely certain that I was going to love it. And I got to tell you, I, I, I did not I did not love it. At all. Like, not even a bit. That's I, I I did not like it. I disliked it, in fact. I disliked it. I I hated it. I hated it. Because of (laughs) the casting, because you didn't like seeing Matt Smith dance shirtless for three minutes, because... Let me me tell you one thing about Matt Smith. Matt Smith is the best damn thing in that entire movie. He's the only... He's the only thing in the movie that has a pulse, for one thing. Um, he, he, he's the only character who has a damn personality, honestly, the only character who has even an arc in the film. Uh, if you just made the movie about his character, I'd be like, fucking a, like I'll, I will follow that guy throughout his own franchise. Um, the, the, the movie really doesn't have much to do with anything regarding the comic character. I mean, I, I guess props where it's due when he changes, he, he kind of looks like the comic character, which is yeah, cool, I guess. I yeah, know. all that CGI helps. Yeah, it's, boy, the the, the, <laughs> the guys at the computer did a great job copying the comic book from 30 years ago. Um, just, it's it's not good. And the hell of it is, is that the director has made stuff that I've liked before. It's Daniel Espinosa. I really enjoyed his movie, uh, Safe House. It, it has a solid cast. Um uh, you know, led led by a cult leader prick. Uh, but you know, who's who's usually capable of good performances at least. Um, it, it's just it, it. The movie feels like it was made by a committee. Uh, it, it it feels like within it, it is sort of guilty of every conceivable sin you could make. Making one of these films these days, you know, I. I I feel like comic book movies, you know, by and large, whether or not you buy into it or not. I mean, if you find them fun, cool. If you don't like them, cool. But, you know, uh, generally when people shake their fists at them and decry them as like the death of cinema, I can't help but roll my eyes. Uh, if they were all like Morbius, fuck, I'd get it. I would get it. Um, it's it's just there. there is nothing 
redemptive about that film to me at all. It, it, it wasn't fun. It didn't tell a compelling story. Uh, again, it doesn't have a pulse. Like, there's nothing, there's no propulsion uh, in the movie whatsoever. It, it is an absolute and complete bore. Um, and I... and force that romance between Morbius and What's-Her-Butt. Yeah, when the, I, it wouldn't... Hell, I mean, if they'd been honest at the writing level, which they probably won't ever be when it comes to anything remotely Marvel-related, and that is a stone I will throw at them, uh, but the love story was him and Matt Smith. And it the was fact Matt that they didn't, yeah, and it's like the fact that they didn't pursue that, like, you know, it's just, I don't know. But, yeah, uh, Jared Harris pops up, you know, which uh, we may or may not be talking about how great Jared Harris is in middling movies here shortly. But, um, you know, Harris Harris is very good in the film. Uh, Matt Smith is fantastic. Uh, and like Ali mentioned, like the 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 one sort of moment the film has where it has any sort of energy is just Matt Smith dancing around shirtless enjoying the fact like and you know it's a guy who for the first time in his life and he's so enjoying it yeah no and that's the thing it's like that's why he has an arc i mean when you meet morbius for anybody who isn't aware of the character like the character in the comics is a doctor who uh well as noted in the film rather uh he is a doctor who suffers from a condition that's sort of uh it's a blood condition that saps him of all energy he's painfully thin he's constantly at death's door uh, he's brilliant, and he's been sussing out a uh, a cure that ultimately has something to do with vampire bats. They don't really get into the science of it, uh, and even try and make an explanation work because you know that take effort. Um, and uh, it's a comic book, maybe whatever, but still, yeah, that's not the story. All right, the bats are are one thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, yeah, but um, but yeah, no, but when we meet him at the very beginning, he's trying to cure himself. He cures himself, but becomes a monster. And then rather than having this guy wrestle with the fact that, okay, he has everything that he ever wanted. He's able-bodied. He's he actually, he's like muscular now. He feels healthy. And the only trade that he has to make is taking human lives, you know, like feeding and taking blood or whatever. Like that could be the setup for a great deal of conflict. That could be drama. That could be a movie that would be interesting. But 20 minutes in, after he realizes what the deal is, he basically just says, no, I'm not doing that. I got to figure out a way, you know, to cure myself. And that's it. Like every moment that follows in that movie, everything where they could have wrung a little bit of drama out of the setups, like there's nothing like even there's that moment where his love interest cuts her finger. And they play it, I think, in just one master shot where she cuts her finger. He kind of looks and, you know, she she closes the wound up and that's it. And I'm like, you could have played that like and yeah, really yeah. had it be a dramatic moment where he sees the blood. He sees her. That war is sort of raging within him. There's a choice there and it's a tough one for him to make. And the movie just and that's one of a thousand such moments strung together in this movie where it fails at every turn to be even remotely engaging. I despise this movie uh, and the few moments that they tried to shoehorn in references to other Marvel movies feel so unbelievably clunky and it couldn't make me care any less about what Sony does with those properties moving forward. I dig Venom. I'll watch a third one, but if this is like the template for what they're going to do moving forward, I, I can give a rat's ass. I 
trust that when they release the new Blade film, that it's going to not be shitty? Well, it'll be Marvel, and Marvel actually has a guy overseeing it all who, you know, there is at least some, again, whether you like the movies or not, there is, I think we can admit, like, at least some measure of quality control when it comes to the scripts. And Sony doesn't really seem to have that. Yeah. I mean, Venom was fun, but not without its flaws. The sequel, even more so. But again, Tom Hardy is having so much fun that it's kind of, you know, it, it kind of draws you in that way. Uh, Morbius, for all of the money and for all of the star power that it had behind it, and for, you know, the solid source material, like the comic book character is great. Uh, the movie is just a dud. And dopey. You know what is great, though? Barry. What's that? Well, Barry is quite good. <laughs> uh, talk about something I love. Uh, and to, you know, I'll go a little non horror. I can do that. I can go non horror too. You cool cats. Uh, I'm watching the final season of Better Call Saul right now. And uh, it, is, it is just about the best damn thing on television right now. It is superb. And uh, everything that a final season of television should be uh it's nailing it is it is left behind it's uh what i love about this show and it was kind of true of breaking bad too although arguably less so but what i love about better call saul is that it's not remotely beholden to any sort of uh template like it's you know we have the characters and beyond that we you know it's thrillingly sort of uh uh free of any sort of expectation you could possibly have based on what's come before. And I, I love that for it. Uh, I have no idea where this final season is going beyond the fact that we will probably dovetail in at the beginning of breaking bad at some point. But beyond that, like every episode is a massive surprise because this is its final season. Like there have been some shocking developments. I don't know. Do either one of you watch better call Saul by any chance? I watched the first season, but then life happened, and now I feel like it's gone too far. Because it's like, what, <laughs> six seasons, seven seasons, eight seasons deep? It is on its final season, which is season six. They're relatively short seasons. Yeah, got to catch up because it's brilliant. So for, for me, um, I watched, I think I watched through season three, and then it occurred to me that the show would be better if I just waited until it was done and watched it all together. Yeah, Cause I kept, that's fair. it kept bothering me. Like, cause I was a, I was a huge M a huge break. Like I think breaking bad is the best show ever made hands down. Like not even, I don't think any show has ever come even remotely close to it in my opinion, because it's, it's a perfectly written thing. Every single moment, every element of that show specifically leads to something. Uh, There's no wasted time. And that's something that really pisses me off in TV is that there's so much wasted time. Um, And I really appreciated that Breaking Bad, you know, knew what it wanted to do, knew where it was going and got there. And had a satisfying conclusion that wrapped everything up that, that, you know, brought us to a place that was, that was interesting and, and, and sort of invited revisiting. So when Better Call Saul came along, I was pumped. I mean, I watched that show from the start. I, I was in 
and I watched the first season and I loved it and I thought it was perfect. And then I had to wait a year <laughs> to yeah. get to season two. And That's then all of your momentum is just gone. And then you have to rewatch one again, right? Because, yeah, well, I got to rewatch season one. Then I watch season two. And then what happens? I got to wait a year. And then I have to do it all over again. And I was like, you know what? This is a this is not a show that's this well written should just be digested all at once. <laughs> like 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 a movie, because that's kind of how it feels. It feels like one giant movie because everything makes sense and ties in. So I just kind of decided at that point, I'm just going to stop watching it. And then when it's done. I'll buy the series box set and I'll just marathon the whole thing. So now that we're in the final season, when that gets released, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy it and I'm, I'm going to spend a month just doing better call. Saul. I get what you're saying. And I completely understand that when I saw breaking bad, I, I think I didn't start watching it until the final half of the final season. Yeah. I watched it all at once. So it was, it was literally like I blazed through yep, everything all the way up. And then I only had to wait like a week in between like five episodes, something like that. Yep. So it's pretty much all at once. I will say I am kind of appreciating the the torturous wait with Better Call Saul because it feels like, you know, this is how people experience Breaking Bad for the first time. But I also see the merit in just waiting and going all the way through it. I will <laughs> I say to your point about. Yeah, no, I get it. It's like a novel in that regard. Yeah, uh, yeah. Better to go at it in one go than wait. I get it. Um, to your point about Breaking Bad being so well written and like there not being any wasted space, I will say that one of my concerns, you know, maybe in hindsight even, like looking at Breaking Bad as I was watching it, was that the show tends to meander a bit in really entertaining ways. But, you know, it, it will sort of uh, it will stray off on these weird little tangents involving the characters, always, you know, character based. But, you know, well, it I didn't feel as tight. I... It didn't feel as, you know, essential, I guess, to the story as, say, Breaking Bad, where it felt like there wasn't an ounce of fat on that story. But what I will say is that now that the final season of Better Call Saul is unspooling and you see where all these characters are are winding up. And how they're being teed up for, you know, whether it's their, you know, their their swan song, their sort of, uh, you know, their 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 big exit or what have you, or you know, they're being delivered to where they were when we first met them at the beginning of Better Call or Breaking Bad. I will say that you realize now that all of those stray sort of digressions all had a point, and yeah. that they weren't as uh, as just sort of needlessly meandering as you may have thought while watching them at the time, which is it's fun. It's fun that it's wrapping up in that way. It's fun that it's reaching out to those threads that were left dangling that, you know, you thought were never being revisited again and then pulling them back and pulling them tight again. I, I it's God, Vince Gilligan rules. Um, yeah. I hope he like, he's the one guy that I just hope always makes TV <laughs> have because you seen, he, he has it figured out. And he should make shit like that. That's that's what he should do. <laughs> have you because seen it's that great. El Camino. You know what? I haven't. Oh. I haven't seen that. I oh. I don't know why. I just never watched it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just never. Okay. I never watched it. It. Allie, have you seen it? Nope. 
And there's have no reason. Seen... I love Breaking Bad, so there was no reason for me to not have watched. I think it. I think that was why I didn't watch it was because I felt like I don't know. I mean, I trust him, and I'm sure it's good, but I just feel like that where Breaking Bad leaves you is like perfect. I'm can like, I, this can is I pitch perfect. you both on why you need to watch it? Yeah, give me sure. a hard sell. I mean, I'm gonna watch it eventually. For sure. Okay, so when you watch Breaking Bad, was the show Walter White or was the show Walton Jesse? It was hmm. Walter White to me, I think. It's Walter White's story. Really? Okay. I think, I think right. Jesse Jesse is a component yeah. of of Walter's story. See, and that's me. Sorry, yeah. No, no. Go ahead. No, no, I I I get where you're coming from, but to me, by the time we end that show, like Jesse is the beating heart of the story. Like it's, it's a, it, it might start as Walter White's story, but by the time we, it, hell, even I would say by the time the fourth season begins, like it's, it's a two hander to me. And when you watch yeah, that final well, episode, to yeah. me, it's, it's, we spend so little time in the finale on Jesse. Like Jesse, I think Jesse has less screen time than fucking Todd does in the finale. Like it felt like the finale was all about Walter. It was all about him wrapping everything up and it was all about ending his story. And Jesse, you're right. I mean, Jesse ultimately is just a component in that. So it felt like Jesse always got the short shrift to me. And what I love about El Camino is that it's an epilogue to breaking bad, but it's also a great conclusion and a necessary conclusion to Jesse's story um, and how they get to that point. People, it, it is unbelievably intense, but also just like so full of heart. And uh, it, it's so great to see all of those characters again. And you, you see, it's not just Jesse. Like there is, it kind of runs the gamut over the course of like the history of breaking bad. Uh, it involves flashbacks and, uh, yeah, well, I won't get too much into it, but I yeah, mean, it, it is me, beautiful and brilliant and intense and wonderful, and I love it. That's the other thing is I almost feel like I need to do a series. A part of me is wondering if I should just go ahead and do Breaking Bad again and then do El Camino and then do Better Call Saul. If you started that now, that would almost perfectly dovetail into. Yeah, I'm thinking that might be the way to go. Um, and I already own all of Breaking Bad. I don't have El Camino, but I think it's on Netflix. But um, uh, the other thing is, like, I, I feel like there's probably an, a forthcoming box set that will have all of Breaking Bad, El Camino, and then all of Better Call Saul in it. And that's sort of what I want. You know, just, just one he... sort of comprehensive box set. I hope he doesn't stop making, like, shows set in that world and i know the danger is that maybe he will eventually slip up maybe you know he'll make something that's not on par with what's come before and it will sort of uh you know dim that 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 entire franchise's shine but i gotta tell you when it was first announced that he was doing a show about saul goodman after breaking bad wrapped up i was like why the fuck would you do that why would you focus on that character? Yeah, Why would you continue weird, telling stories in that world? That's awful. Direction to go. And in. considering how great Better Call Saul has wound up being, I'm like, you know what? Give me a Badger show. 
I'm sure you could pull it off, Vince Gilligan. Let's do it. Come on, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the the difference, though, is, like, and I think the main reason they initially did Bear Call Saul is because they had Bob Odenkirk. And he's such an untapped... Yeah, I mean, he he's such an untapped actor at that point, too. Like, he, I mean, obviously, he has his renown in the comedy world. But, like, oh, yeah. Better Call Saul was the show that, sh- well, Breaking Bad to a certain extent, but Better Call Saul really has shown, like, what that man is capable of as a dramatic force. Um, and, and nobody's ever really given him that chance, you know? And I, I think Gilligan realized, like, oh, shit, we got really lucky and casted this, like, titan of an actor in this somewhat one-dimensional silly part when he's first introduced in Breaking Bad. Um, and the way they've managed to retroactively create this incredibly complex character, you know, out of Saul Goodman, it's a testament not only to, uh, you know, Vince Gilligan and what he's capable of, but, but Odenkirk's performance abilities. I mean, I, you know, that's the thing is there's not many characters in the Breaking Bad world that were performed by such insanely talented you know, performer behind the, the character. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I, uh, I'm very curious to see what you both think of El Camino when you watch it. Please, both of you watch El Camino. I'm going to watch it. What I'm getting at here. Yeah. At some point. All right. Are we ready to, uh, to go ahead and introduce our guest? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So those are our recent watches. Now, Allie, Paul, I have a bit of a surprise for you both. Well, it's not really a surprise. You both know that this is coming. I, I guess I have a surprise for the listeners. Is that what I have? You know what? It's going to be a surprise for somebody. Guess what? What? What's that? We have a guest. What? That's very exciting. Okay, Allie, that was, you You were at an 11. If you could bring it back down to about a five, that'd be great. Are we, using, are we supposed to use inside voices today? Is that... I, you know, it's just, I'm I... Gonna I I'm going to be loud. My nerves are on edge right now, so loud noises, they're sort of unsettling me. But they, you know what? That's okay. None of that matters because, like I said, we have a guest. Zena Dixon, Real Queen of Horror, co-host of the Weekly Bloody Disgusting podcast. You can find her at realqueenofhorror.com. She has a YouTube channel. Find her on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Real Queen of Horror, Facebook. You know what? We're going to let her tell us where all we can find her. But first, I just want to say, everyone, welcome Zena to the show. Hey, hi everybody thank you so much for having me all right thank you so much for being on and sorry we missed you at the uh the very beginning of the show scheduling troubles and whatnot but we are so happy that you are here to help us with our commentary of the quiet ones now before we do that i want to ask have you seen anything decent recently that you would like to you know what i jumped the gun didn't i we're, we're just we're we're you know what i feel like i'm under pressure like we're we're, we're running a race here i'm just gonna bring it right back down I'm just gonna slow down and say Zena. why don't you tell listeners out there about yourself <laughs> okay sure hi my name is Zena. um i started blogging a long time ago i'm just a girl who loves horror you know so you can find me on twitter i'm always on twitter lurking watching people uh lovely Zena. <laughs> and then you can find me on instagram facebook um, YouTube, just Real Queen of Horror, um, and then realqueenofhorror.com. I'm also the co-host of the Bloody Disgusting podcast, where I give you movie recommendations, because it's hard out there just finding something to watch. Really hard. <laughs> it really is. 
It really right? is. There's so much. Yeah. It's exhausting. Every single time you turn around, there's a new movie yeah. that's coming out. Yeah. You're, you're right, doing a real service on that podcast. I'll tell you, you're, you're, you're providing the world with very important uh, information. <laughs> I appreciate it. Wow, Paul. Thank you. Now, I wanted to ask you all, that reminds me, like, uh, Zena, Paul, Zena, Allie, Allie, Paul, everyone. Um, <laughs> do, you, do, do we all know one another? Did you all know Zena? Zena, do you know Allie and Paul, like, from Twitter at all? Or is this like a uh, like an initial introduction sort of thing? I, 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 I'm a terrible host. I should have figured this out beforehand. <laughs> I, I think on Twitter. Like, yeah, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I know you um, on Twitter, sort of. I follow you, and I just followed you on Instagram. What? Oh my God! Let me follow you back. You're the yeah. Best. We yeah we've definitely interacted on Twitter over the years, uh, and I've been yeah. a fan of of Zena's for for a long time. So this is this is very exciting for me to get to get Bring a chance it, to talk. Gosh, Cole, you're just so magical. Make me feel magical. <laughs> All right, Zena. So in the spirit of the bloody disgusting podcast, where you usually provide recommendations, can I ask? Can you uh can you do a couple of exclusive recommendations tonight? You know I. We might call it a mere recent watch if it were me or Allie or Paul. But since you're here, what are a couple of these exclusive recommendations you might give listeners that they couldn't otherwise hear on the Bloody Disgusting podcast? Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. So I recently went uh, to Viper Video in Tampa, you know, yes. and you invited dollars. me and I couldn't make it that day, which is probably good because. I probably oh, had yeah. COVID then too. Oh so. my God. Yeah. Good <clears throat> you couldn't. Gosh. Um, yeah, we could have went out for smoothies afterwards, but it's fine. Um, well, one of the movies I picked up is a blind buy called Fatal Frames from 1996. And uh, it's basically about this American director who goes to edit goes to Italy and he becomes like the prime suspect for these murders that are taking place. And it just so happens to be matching the way his wife was murdered because she was murdered like a couple of years ago. It, it was horrible, like chopped her head off, you know, spoiler. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's a good time, you know, like I've never heard of it before. I just like the the cover. And there's really nothing special about the cover, truth be told. And the music in there really slaps. And you know what, too? Some people... So, technically, this does have, like, Jalo elements, you know? And I feel like they kind of, like, pay homage to it, you know? And it also has, like, a really cool cast that's in it. And I don't know, but seriously, though, the music, there's just something about that music. Because they're filming, like, a music video. You know, and it's just like, whoa, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just pretty cool. He's basically this woman, like, she's kind of like a pop sensation. She's like Rihanna, okay? And, you know, mm. so they're filming something, and the next thing you know, people on the crew, they're getting murdered, like, all over Italy, you know? So, but yeah, um, I, I liked it. I don't, if you know that, because, like I said, it was made in the 90s. I think it was, like, re- it was released in the late, mid-90s. But it was probably filmed in the early 90s. I think something happened or whatever, you know. But if you're someone who likes kind of like those movies that have like a little bit of mystery to it, it is it is very, it has some cheese, you know, um, a, a lot of cheese, actually. But it's a good time. So, yeah, I recommend that. Okay, I'm sold on that. Um can I ask, wasn't there a movie called Fatal Frames that had uh, Donald Pleasance in it? Or is this? That's the one. Okay, cool. Yeah, so sadly. Oh, sorry. Oh no, I'm sorry. Yeah, sadly he he passed away. So you know they had to like. uh, I mean, they kind of give him like a a subtle like way of of, you know that we're no longer seeing him anymore. We hear from the character. 
was this his last movie or was it Halloween 6, I wonder? Hmm. Not sure. I'm going to have to look that up. But so, yeah, so I'm going to have to snack a copy of that. I will. Uh, w- were there two copies of Viper Video? <laughs> Cena? Am there, I still yes. going to be? There was? Mm-hmm. There was okay. another one that was there. Crazy idea. Why don't we go to Viper Video? I'm going to snag a copy of that. We can hang out and, you know, grab some uh, monoclonal antibody smoothies right after. And it'll be great. <laughs> that would be wonderful. That sounds terrible. I'm sorry. But I am going to snag a <laughs> copy of that movie. So. <laughs> All right. What else have you seen recently? So recently, do you want something new or do you want something old or it doesn't matter? Uh, which, which do you prefer? Which one are you leaning toward recommending? Um, okay, well, since I gave you something older, I'll give you something um, new. So I checked out, and this is this is not a horror or anything like that, but I'm and I'm so late to the game. I checked out like this. Um, I think it's like a Disney movie called Flight of the Navigator from 1986. Oh my god, that movie is a classic. I love it so much. It is so good. It's super cute. Like, oh my gosh, and Pee Wee Herman's in. I know that's not his real name, but I just like call him Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> But no, I've I've never seen it before. I wish I would have watched it as a kid. But basically, uh, there's this 12-year-old boy uh, named David. And he goes to the woods near his house. And then next thing you know, he goes back home and eight years passed. And everyone has aged except for him. So it's just like, whoa. So they just had me that, you know, sold. And, you know, NASA's involved. There's some UFOs. Uh, I don't know. There's mystery. It's, it's really cool. It's very magical. And I really seriously wish that I would have watched it as a kid. I would have been obsessed. I'm obsessed with it now. It is. I watched it as a kid and I just remember freaking out at like the kid going home and it freaking the parents out and them not knowing who he is. And it's just it's so weird, but it's so cool. I believe that guy, the guy who did that movie later developed uh, the really cool sounding version of Alien 3 that never happened. I think the one with the wooden planets and whatnot, but uh, I might be wrong about that, but I think that was him. I think he did like what uh what dreams may come with oh, Robin nice. Williams too. I love so. that movie. Same, same, same. And you know what I realized? I said to you guys, "Hey, I'm going to give you something new," and then that movie was old. So I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's new to us if we haven't seen it. So oh, I haven't seen it. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's I, a I fun. Think... It's a fun movie. Yeah, I really like that one. Nice. Oh, okay, and then I'll just give one more if that's okay, and then that's it. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, so this is a new one, I promise. So have any of you guys seen the movie The Cellar on Shudder? Hell yeah, watch that oh. in quarantine. What did you think? Um, I was mildly confused as to everyone having an accent but Alicia Cuthbert, even though that was her daughter. Right. Yeah! <laughs> Why was everyone, like, Scottish, but she was, like, American, and that's her kid. Did she not have a relationship with that kid for the first 16 years? Oh, my years? God. <laughs> what a... I didn't even realize that. <laughs> what does Cuthbert sound like with a Scottish accent? She doesn't have an accent. No, I just yeah. meant her name. Oh. oh I can't I'm remember. not good at accents. We know this. Cuthbert? <laughs> 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 Hawkeye Cuthbert. Uh, no. Wow. Wow, see, that's... Yeah, I'm quitting. I'm leaving now. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, No, sorry, Zita, how was it? Is it it worth watching? I think that it's worth watching. There's been, like, a mix of reviews, you know? Um, 
usually, I mean, I still, like, check out the stuff anyway. I'm pretty sure that when this happens to you guys, too, say if you see, like, horrible ratings and people saying this is the worst movie they've ever seen in their life and they hate it and, you know, screw the producer, like, stuff like that, you know. But I still, like, check it out. Um, I'm not... Yeah, it's it's a must. I'm not saying that it's perfect, but there is a particular scene that did kind of like creep me out. And um, I know that it is based off of the a short that the director filmed. It's like a 10 minute short, and I believe that it's on YouTube called 10 Step Something. I don't remember, but if you Google him, Google his name, you'll be able to like find out the title of it. But I don't know. I thought that it was it had like a creepy, you know, um, just creepy storyline to it. But basically, um, this woman's she's on the phone with her daughter and you know she vanishes and I, I don't want to spoil that part I mean it's literally in the trailer but I mean I would just skip the trailer and just watch the movie if you're interested but she's on the phone with her daughter she could hear her and she just sounds different she sounds weird like she sounds disconnected or something you know um but yeah there's a lot of stuff that has to do with uh demonic devilish ancient powers and First off, I don't know why that family would move to that house. That whole house just looked evil to me, but that's but just... Also, it's a beautiful house, and, like, if anyone offered me a house ever, I'd be like, haunted or not, I'm going to live there. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if I would live there, but, you know, Airbnb, you know, rent it out. Some money off it. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll have to check it out. Um, shall we go ahead and dive into The Quiet Ones? Yeah. <clears throat> Let's do it. All right. Now, as we do with every episode, we are going to go ahead and queue up the movie in question. We're going to have a countdown. We're going to press play at the exact same time. And then we are going to provide a running commentary for this movie for all of our listeners out there who are undoubtedly doing the exact same thing. Nobody listens to this podcast just as a podcast. It's always as a commentary. I'm certain of it. Always. Right? Everyone? Anyone? Okay, so uh, before we do that, can I ask, how are we all watching this? Are we doing streaming, DVD, Blu-ray? I rented it on Google Play. Nice. Paul? I couldn't find... The Blu-ray's out of print. Yeah, it is. Uh, So I couldn't buy it, which usually I just buy the thing. So I had to purchase it on Vudu for $8. It was 8 bucks. It was also a bus this... on Google Play, and I was like, nah, I'm good. I'll just rent it. Yeah. <laughs> it's $2 more, and I was like, no, I don't want to have this forever. I just, you know, you know how I am. If I'm going to pay for it, I just do the thing. I don't know. <laughs> you just do it. I just All do right. it. Zena, how about you? It's on Hulu. It's oh, really? shit, really? <laughs> <laughs> but the Just, the just Watch <laughs> app betrayed me then. Because oh, the Just Watch app didn't kids. say Hulu. That's our app. We don't get Hulu Canada. <laughs> it's the app failed. I can't believe it's on Hulu. I paid eight dollars. <laughs> Love it. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, that's okay. All right. But it's you know what? It's I'll live with it. It's Jinx. <laughs> oh, sorry. Jinx, how are you watching it? Uh, me, Amazon Prime. And what's crazy is I actually own the Blu-ray, but with my setup here in this room, it's much easier for me just to do streaming and it's like in storage, and I'm not digging through like a thousand Blu-rays to find that one. Uh, I haven't sorted my collection in ages, so uh, yeah, yeah, streaming it is. Uh, but I tell you what, let's all get to the very first frame, and let's do a countdown, and we're all going to press play together. Everyone ready? Yeah. Yes. One second. Zena, you all good? Based on actual events. Oh, wait, no. 
Al, you've gone too far. No, my po the, the poster art on the Google Play app that I'm pushing play on literally says based on actual. Is it why does the movie start by saying based on actual events? Probably. I think it does. I was very drunk the last time I saw this. Oh, Zena, are you okay? Okay, no, sorry. For some reason, um, because I have my extra my other monitor, and so it just decided to just you know sign me out of Hulu for some. Oh no. So, so sorry. Fucking screaming. No, you're, no, you're good. good. Saying this movie is based on actual events is uh, quite a stretch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did a little bit of reading. I didn't do much research on this, but the research that I did, I was just kind of like, okay, so I, this is a bunch of bullshit. Like, I did zero yeah, research. Well, I, I read up on the Philip experiment because I was really fascinated by the idea of it once I watched the movie, and, and the more I read about it. it had been about that? Like, Oh, yeah, I, I kind of... Yeah, well, we'll get into that. But yeah, the, the, this movie is nothing like what that experiment was. Like, like and, yeah. We'll, spoiler we'll, we'll alert, I do sure. like this movie, but I just, you know, when you read about the Philip experiment, it's just kind of like, hey, it'd be neat if somebody made that into a movie. Wait a second. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, well, I mean, they wanted to make it more, you know, jump scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll and this thing that we'll talk about it bums me out a little bit about the movie is like there are some stretches that are really kind of like classy and elegant and dare i say even though it is anchored to the 70s uh you know there there are stretches that feel like classic camera and then there are parts that are just yeah let's aim for the lowest possible common denominator let's uh let's throw a cat in the frame that sort of scare so okay is everybody ready yeah i'm ready all right, let's press play here in five, four, three, two, one, and play. And we are getting, is that a Lionsgate logo? Is this like a like 2012, it. 2014 era Lionsgate? Yeah, there's the line. What year is this? Yeah, it's 2014. I miss the, the two muscly shirtless guys banging gongs. Same, right? <laughs> when it comes to Hammer, I don't know. Guys. Should be lions. The sleek Lionsgate logo. Although I do like the Marvel Hammer logo. That's the Hammer logo is just. Yeah, the I want that forever. Yeah, I want that's sure. great. Now, Zena, you are our guest. Can I ask? Had you ever seen the Quiet Ones before? See that, that that's the weird part. I I think I have because I remember bits and pieces of it. Um, but it, it's hard to say. Like <laughs> just just being real with you. So I I can't remember if I went to go check it out or not. I got you. I don't think, did it ever play in theaters? I remember working at a theater when the movie was due to come out. I remember stealing a one-sheet poster for it. But <laughs> I know for a fact that we never got it at any theater in my area. And um, I, I'm certain that the first time I checked it out was on Blu-ray. So I don't know if this had like a canceled theatrical release or not. I don't know. Yeah. but Maybe in Florida. It definitely came out in Canada. I was well, in, I was it it had a limited... Here. It did have a limited theatrical release. Um, right, yes. Yeah, I remember seeing it, it in the it theater made, around where I was living. Yeah. It made very little money, but it was out there. Um, it, it, I don't know. I think part of the reason, like, I had never seen it before, but I could totally see, like, forgetting that you saw it. Because it kind of feels like an amalgam of a lot of movies like this that came out at that time. Um, mm -hmm. it, 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 it feels very derivative of like the spooky you know possession new wave kind of movie uh right. mid 2000s early 2010s <laughs> so 
So I, I think it's just indicative of that kind of <laughs> flick. It's funny, I think you were just talking off mic and you said something that was really interesting. You said you felt like this movie sort of learned all of the wrong lessons from the woman in black, <laughs> which I I can't help but agree with. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. I watched the woman in black and uh, Zena, that was the last, uh, I believe that was the last commentary that we did. We couldn't help but note like how beautiful, you know, the, the production design was and the photography, mm-hmm. the performances are great. And it feels like, you know, maybe more than any other movie in the new Hammer era, it has that classy sort of elegant feel to both the story and the scares and the look that harken back to old school Hammer. But, you know, then you would occasionally get a bit of CG or you would get, uh, you know, the woman in black like flying at the camera screaming, which is just a terrible sort of, again, lowest common denominator kind of jump scare. And then you watch the quiet ones and it's like, ah, you know, they... They had more than one scene like that. It feels like every 10 minutes they have to uh, throw a cat in the frame. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they were following the Roger Corman school of thought where like every 15 minutes, something crazy has to happen to keep the audience, you know, like we need to make a loud sound and do something, you know, nutty for people mm-hmm. to just be engaged and wake them back up from all of the slow, quiet stuff, <laughs> you know, that the movie's putting forth. I remember. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I was wondering, I always confuse uh, the woman in black with the woman in black, the, the sequel, Angel of Death, because which one is it where, like, we just see a shoe, like someone's shoe, and then we know that they're dead? You don't remember those, like, a scene? and Oh, the- yeah, I think that's the sequel. The uh, The original was uh, Daniel Radcliffe. It was set during the turn of the century. Okay. Uh, the sequel is the one that's set during the, uh, the Blitz. Oh, and it's funny, uh, somebody I noted, I remember when this movie came out, a lot of people did not like this movie. It was a very intense dislike, too. Now, I wouldn't say that I love the movie, but I will say that so many of the reactions to it were so negative that by the time I eventually got around to watching it, the bar was sort of lowered to the point where I couldn't help but enjoy it a little bit. I actually, and I, I, I think, yeah, I won't even say a little bit. I won't apologize for it. Like, uh, I, I do genuinely like this movie, even for its many faults, but I remember one of the uh, criticisms sort of lobbed its way. It made me laugh. They said, you know, for a movie called The Quiet Ones, it goes out of its way to be noisy as hell. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. it's very loud. Yeah. <laughs> it's not wrong. <laughs> Off-puttingly so. I don't know. Like, I love horror movies. I'm fine with jump scares. But when, when a movie does it, like, as shamelessly as this one, it becomes sort of more distracting than engaging. There's literally a moment where a guy pounds on a window and yells, wah ha ha And I was like, this is like, this is like somebody running up and banging on a windshield. Yeah. You know, when somebody's I, I expected, call, I have know? expected him to finish his laugh with Dr. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> it just like, they feel very out of place. Like it, it feels disjointed stylistically. Like it's, it's torn between two different types of movies. Like it wants to be this kind of classic occult hammer thing because there's shades of like a reverse um you know kind of movie that you would have expected like a like a like a wheatley kind of thing but, devil rides out but like, from yeah like a, re- a reverse devil rides out in a way you know like yeah. um <clears throat> which i i respect but but there's so much of the other modern sort of loud dumb unthoughtful 
uh, horror stuff of that time period that it that really takes away from some of the good things it's doing. I didn't hate the movie. I liked it, but it, it's definitely a step down for me. Probably my least favorite of like the new Hammer movies that I've seen. Yeah, I can't I can't argue that. I, I do genuinely like the movie, but if we're looking at all of New Hammer together, like yeah, it's probably it's probably at the bottom of the list for me. And yet, what a cast. Like Jared mm. Harris is in. Uh, Sam Claflin is a a pretty great leading man. Uh, Olivia Cook, who at this point had already been, I think, on Bates Motel for a year, is I think very good in the film. Um it's a great looking movie. Like it's very handsomely lensed film. Uh, and what's weird is all of the things that sort of cheapen the movie, all of those terrible jump scares and some of the dodgy CG. I think you could cut all of that out and the movie wouldn't miss a beat to the point where I wonder if all of that stuff was shoehorned in at the last minute. You know, you could almost hear a studio being like, uh, you, you know what the kids like these days, they like loud noises, you know, they want to jump out of their seat. And uh, it's just terrible. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. The, uh, the 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 terrible studio head impersonation killed this conversation. <laughs> we're all just we're all just thinking about it. We're all just so, looking at so, Jared Harris being like, "What a sexy guy when he smokes." <laughs> fair. Also, it I was mean, me, Earl, and the dying girl. That was one of those Fault in Your Star movies. I thought she was in. I had to look it up. Uh, in Never saw so it. What did, but it's about. So what did uh, Zena and Allie? What did you two think about the movie? I it. Oh, sorry, you go first. You're our guest. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Go ahead. No, you you go. <laughs> so I hope I, this argument goes on for 10 minutes. Yeah, no, you. <laughs> um, I, I liked it overall. Like, I had fun watching it, but I, it felt like it was a little bit confused. Like, it didn't really know the movie what, like, with, like, what direction they wanted to go in. Like, mm. like you guys were already talking about, I really love the cast. The cast is phenomenal. I don't mind that the jump scares are, I mean, it's filled with a lot of jump scares and it's really loud, you know, but it is, a, it took me some time to get into, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I had a hard time. I had a hard time watching it. So like I rewatched it this morning, but I also watched it like yesterday afternoon or I try to as a refresher. And then next thing I knew, cause I started like around three and then I looked at the time it's 8 PM. Cause I went to sleep. So <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. That's fair. But I, well, I, I, I did have fun. I think you brought up a really good point is that it's a very confused movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like it wants to do a lot of things, you know, like it wants to talk about theology. It wants to talk about, belief and telekinesis and it's it's all these different things and i don't feel like it clearly lands in one specific Mm -hmm. area or another Mm -hmm. which not in a good way you know i think there's a way to do this movie where there's ambiguity around you know is this a devil is this a person's belief um and i think instead the movie sort of just you know, says like, oh, well, no, it's it's a ghost, I guess. I don't know. Like, it's it's just kind of like murky uh, and not all that satisfying. Right. Um, like if the movie should have ended by asking the audience, what do you think? And instead, by the end, you get the feeling that it's more like the movie is kind of like, what do I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. It like didn't know what the fuck it was and it had to <laughs> give us an answer. And, and so it just kind of answered the question without a whole lot of forethought or, or proper setup. I mean, it's not even until like halfway through the, maybe even more than halfway through the movie that they start planting the seeds of mm-hmm. what the actual ending is, which is really something that should have been built up from the beginning, uh, you know, and it, and it just wasn't. Um, what, what do you guys think about having the protagonist be a filmmaker? Do you think that has, I mean, there's, it's obvious, obviously significant. Whenever you have a movie where uh, the story is being told through a lens, through a protagonist who's like seeing the world through a lens, and it's a movie that you're watching. So there's that meta element, um, which this movie doesn't do a whole lot with, obviously. I mean, nowadays well, it would be so winky and naughty that it would probably be insufferable. Uh, but, you know, what, what did you guys think about that? And like, how do you think that impacted like the story? I have a very specific answer for this, but I want to wait and see what everyone else thinks first. I think it was a bit of a cop-out to make it into more of like a half-found-footage-esque type film. And I felt that it kind of pulled away from the actual story. Like, if they want to document it, that's fine. But document it in the way that, like, what's, like, an example that I want to use? Like, in, like, the first Insidious where, yeah, they're filming what happens. Is that what happens? I can't remember the first Insidious. This is probably a terrible explanation. But film it, but don't show us through your lens. Let us just see what's going on. I agree with Allie. I, I felt like it was a little bit too much. And it kind of it kind of took me away from the story where it was just adding too much. And I kind of wish that they would have just kept it simple. Like, at least just take that element out. You, you're throwing everything in there. Yeah. And if you're going to show, like, old footage or something, like, do it the way that, ooh, that Malignant did it, where you just got to see weird old videos and then see what's happening now, where you're like, oh, shit, we fucked up. Yeah. I Paul, how about you? Um, I totally agree with Ellie and Xena. I, I think, again, earlier I mentioned, and this is going to come up a lot, this really feels like a kitchen sink movie, where it was like, what, like every possible thematic thing in a horror movie like this, we want to put in. And so this was like the voyeurism element uh, where, you know, this guy is sort of suggested to be kind of lusting after the Jane character or the, the Evie character, whatever you want to call her. I don't know what her actual name should be. Um, And, and the camera being a conduit to that, but they don't do anything with it other than just like bring up that concept. You know, they don't ever really, deliver on that they don't explore it in any meaningful way and by the end of the movie it just kind of goes away uh so all we are really left with is like 40 percent of this movie being found footage uh which just makes it feel like they wanted to cut corners budget wise (laughs) as opposed to doing something stylistically important to the narrative um so yeah i i agree i think it's more of a distraction than a than a help to the overall story Mm -hmm. I do. Before I say anything on that, I just want to say that Olivia Cook's moment there, where she goes from like kind of scary to laughing maniacally to oh. just over that moment and walking away, like she shuts it oh, off yeah. mid laugh, is so fucking good. Like that's that's kind of the first moment in the movie where it draws me in. I'm like, okay, I'm interested in whatever the hell this is now, and. Uh, I, I honestly, I think she's the anchor to the movie. Like every, as good as Jared Harris is, and I think Claflin is a is a very good leading man. But it's, I mean, it's all her. You know, yeah. it's she is, she's the thing that draws me into the story. Um, you all have touched on it. I I I would agree with you all. I wonder if 
the movie wasn't intended to be entirely found footage at the very beginning. It feels, I think that's the only reason to make that guy a filmmaker because Paul, as you pointed out, they do nothing with the potential voyeurism, you know, not that it ever would have been peeping Tom, but you know, you're, you're right. If he's kind of lusting after her and you have a camera in his hands, like do something with that, but right. He he doesn't do a thing. So to me, the only thing that makes sense why you would have that character be a filmmaker in the first place is you, you would intend for the movie to be purely found footage from the very beginning. And instead it feels like at a certain point they just had a note and they changed it. And now the movie is kind of neither fish nor fowl. And you know, what winds up being found footage is ultimately kind of pointless in the film, but you know, it it, it could either, it could be one or the other. It could be entirely found footage or you could just not make him a filmmaker at all, not do any captured footage at all. And the movie probably wouldn't change too terribly much. And I wonder how much of that is down to the fact that, Okay, so one of the weirdest credits in this movie is based on the screenplay by, and uh, there's a writer named Tom DeVille, uh, which is, I swear to God, that's almost like a Louis Cipher kind of name from Angel Heart. It's like Tom (laughs) DeVille, Tom Devil, really? You know, but no, apparently that's his actual name. Sorry, Tom. Um, And what's weird is usually when you see that in films uh, based on a screenplay by, that means that the movie is a remake. Right. And then you have that film's particular writers listed after, like written by whoever the hell. In this case, there was no pre existing movie here. Like he had written the screenplay, it was purchased by Hammer, it was rewritten heavily, and instead of giving him a mere story by credit, uh, they they gave him the based on a screenplay by, which I just find kind of strange and fascinating and i looked up an interview with him and uh i will quote directly there was a website called crypticrock.com they did an interview with him uh about a short film that he did called corvy day or something like that and uh, they asked him about his uh experience on the quiet ones and he answered uh laughing unfortunately for me that was a time that didn't go well i was thrilled that hammer picked up the script because i have a huge love of their 1950s through 1970s movies and i was thrilled that jared harris starred in it because i love his work Uh, but I wasn't happy with the direction they took my script in and the ways they changed my story. It was an experience which taught me that possibly the best way to protect my work was to go back to my original plan and become a director, so I started working on that. Aw, he learned a lesson. Yeah, I mean, at least he got that out of it, and presumably a paycheck, but, you know, who knows? I I would be very curious to see what his, uh, his original script was like, and whether or not it hewed more closely to the events that this movie is said to be based on, because... And should we get into that, the whole based on a true story <laughs> aspect of this movie? Because, uh, oh boy. Yeah, we can. I also think, like, we should break down the plot at some point because it's kind of convoluted. <laughs> and if <laughs> listeners, like, haven't seen this movie, it might be weird. <laughs> like, I think we should probably. Paul, Paul, go no, wait, wait. All, all of our listeners have already watched the movie before they queued up this commentary. Yeah. And they're, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we should probably give a synopsis. Well, apparently it is on Hulu, uh, which <laughs> I was not aware of because the Just Watch app completely yeah, screwed Yeah, Just me. Watch. Uh, thanks a lot, Just Watch. Uh, but anyway, yeah, no, I, I do think we should talk about that, uh, the experiment, though. The Philip experiment's really interesting. Okay, so do you want to do, do the synopsis and then we'll dive into the uh, the, the true... I'm saying this with like quote fingers right now, so big that they hurt. Uh, <laughs> true story aspect <laughs> of it. Uh, you want me to do it, or do you? 
It was it was, I, it was your suggestion. I, I can do I, it. I wasn't well, okay, prepared. sure. I, I just I feel bad. I've I have Wikipedia here. No, I will right. Wikipedia. No, no, I can I can do a like a crappy sort of off the cuff synopsis. Um, so you've got uh, this Oxford professor who's uh, trying to do a study to prove that uh, there's no such thing as like a supernatural entity. Um, and he uh, has a couple of students that are helping him with this. And he has a subject named Jane, who's a young woman with a lot of strange uh, sort of psychic phenomena that occurs around her that's been passed around from foster home to foster home. Uh, and now he, you know, has her and she has to be like locked in a room with loud music playing all the time and deprived of sleep to ensure that, you know, her mind doesn't create uh scary bad things and uh that's how they, you create scary bad things that's well, right 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 so he's basically abusing this girl uh as sanctioned by the school which which is kind of wild but i guess it was the 70s so whatever right uh you know bill bill murray was doing the same thing in ghostbusters basically so uh you know anyway his funding uh just like the ghostbusters is taken away uh, because college boards don't like a uh, wild psychic phenomena shit. And I don't know. It, it blows my mind that they get funding in the first place, though. Yeah. Like, because these people. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, like they should. How do they get the money in the first place? They're just like, right. we're just on this job. It's totally cool. All these movies have scenes where they have to, like, go talk to a boardroom. And it's like. 10 old annoyed looking white men who like very clearly despise the person that they apparently gave money to at some point for a thing that they a hundred percent knew what it was, but I digress. Um, so he gets his money taken away and instead of like doing the right thing and not torturing this poor girl anymore, he's like, fuck it. We're going to take her to some isolated house. Who's coming with me. Torturing. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, just like in Half-Baked, uh, someone goes with him. Uh, so the people that are working on the project decide to go with him, including a young filmmaker who's just excited to have a job shooting a movie uh, and to go document what's going on. And he takes her to a secluded countryside manor. Very hammer. This is where the movie gets very hammery. Uh, and, uh, they proceed to torture her and dive deeper into, uh, what's going on. And, uh, do you want me to spoil the ending or just kind of stop there and then go into the actual experiment? Uh, spoil yeah, the ending? Whichever right. way you feel. All right. I'll spoil the ending real quick. Just so we know what's, we know the, the, the lay of the land. And, and again, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff. Cause this is <laughs> correct. Uh, off the, uh. Off the cuff. So uh, essentially, again, more than halfway through the movie, they start to uh, find evidence of this uh, person named Evie, who at first is presented like a spirit or a malevolent force or potentially a demon uh, that is dwelling inside of Jane. And Evie is a person who, um, over time, they kind of figure out was uh, sort of marked and worshipped in a cult. Uh, who believed that her uh, she was a person who had psychic abilities and the cult believed that they could use those abilities to resurrect a demon. So in my eyes, it, it is unclear whether or not this Evie character is just a psychic person or maybe a demon was resurrected into her. I don't know. And uh, it all the cult thing culminated a long time ago with a big fire killing everybody, including Evie. 
Um, and as they proceed to uh, torture um, our main character uh, and and put her in strange situations, uh, Jane starts manifesting Evie more and more. They try to put Evie into like a little doll. Uh, and all the while, there's weird sort of sexual tensions rising between all of the various characters in the movie, which, again, is a weird thematic theme that they don't. Yeah, they don't quite go far enough with in any one direction. Um, people start dying. <clears throat> and and the end of the movie basically reveals that, uh, you know, Jane actually is Evie. She survived the fire. Um, and she just is somebody with crazy, powerful psychic phenomena. And her repressed memories were coming out as this other person. But in all reality, it's just her. Uh, and the end of the movie, after everybody's sort of killed, except for our filmmaker, uh, is she realizes sort of what's going on. She pushes uh, Brian out of the room, the filmmaker, and uh, lights herself on fire, essentially, and and dies. And then we cut to footage of Brian in sort of a, I guess, an asylum, uh, where he is now basically harboring Evie. Uh, and all or her power or whatever and he's now crazy and doing you know creating heat and fire and shit and we're left to think that i guess the professor was right (laughs) uh because that was sort of what he suggested was that it was a psychic phenomena thing that could be removed from a person and passed into another or destroyed or it could be an actual demon that was resurrected. So there's an anonymity there that is quite unclear and sort of half-baked. Um, and and that's the movie. Is Would you all say that that was accurate? What did I forget that is important? Not, not only is that accurate, but listening to it, like hearing you lay it out like that, I Make- think I'm deducting like a full star for my rating for the movie. <laughs> yeah, like I don't like. I was this like, movie. maybe I don't like this. Film. I'm sorry. I feel bad. I don't want to be like a negative guy. On the- <laughs> well, I'll, I I would add that there are a lot of chain smokers and floral wallpaper for some reason. Fair. It's like every That's single room. Totally and fair. I'm back. But the chain smoking goes back. well for this era. Like if I was do if I was torturing a young girl in the 70s, I'd be chain smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you all a question? There's, like, yeah, and, you know, we we have gone through the entire run of Hammer films from the very beginning, leading up to this movie. Like uh, old school Hammer, leading into new school Hammer. We have like three movies left. We wow. have this moment where this entire group they go out to the countryside to this isolated home that's rather large, and uh, they they proceed to do their thing. Now, with New Hammer, they have tried to sort of distance themselves from what Old Hammer did while still paying appropriate homage here and there. Like the woman in black easily could have fit within, uh, you know, old school hammers, Gothic chillers, uh, the resident, even though it's kind of a modern mini Hitchcock, you know, it had Christopher Lee in it. So there are all of these nods, the quiet ones, Paul, Allie, we, we've, we've been on this hammer ride for a while. Why wouldn't they shoot this at Bray? Oh, no idea. Maybe there's, Bray was in, uh, Bray was in dis like significant disrepair in twenty what was this twenty thirteen twenty fourteen. I mean, even the exterior. Like, why not just film the exteriors yeah. there? Because I mean, this building that they're in is no prize as it is. True. And uh, seen it to explain. Uh, Bray Studios is where they filmed the bulk of uh, 
Oh, a lot of the early Hammer films. It was uh, it was a big mansion that they fitted often, you know, refitted rather as kind of uh, their own studio where they would shoot in all of the various rooms and house, you know, the people working on the films. And uh, and honestly, the outside of the building here, the the house here, isn't too terribly dissimilar from Bray in many ways. So it blows my mind that somebody didn't have that light bulb moment where they were like, uh, guys, guys, guys have a crazy idea, but yeah, I am. Um, well, do you know much about where they shot this? There's a really interesting aspect of it, um, which is that the, um, well, I guess I should let you answer first. Do you, <laughs> do you know a lot about the shooting location? <laughs> I, I fucking have no clue. Nope. Okay. Um, all right. So th- it's weird. That manor that you see. Mm-hmm. So is attached to a giant, super modern office complex and factory. So if you were to take a camera and do an aerial view of that house, you would see like the white house and then like connected to it, this huge office building that like stretches out very quickly. I'm so sorry. Uh, We're watching this on Hulu, Amazon prime. We're, we're all watching this various ways, right? Mm -hmm. Did anybody else's film switch over to the exorcist two just then? No. What? Oh my gosh. That's oh, ha, 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 what you're yeah. doing there. <laughs> I I wrote that down. I wrote Exorcist 2 yeah. down in my notes yeah. when I was watching this. And and I wrote I wrote Exorcist 2 dash and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that there is a, a good little wonky. Not I mean yeah. not more than a little. Well, because we have similar to Exorcist 2, the tests they're doing with her are often sort of like nonsensical to the viewer like we don't really know what's going on there's not a lot of explanation as to why it's happening we don't know how this is helping or hurting his experimentation it's just weird yeah (laughs) but um no they they shot it in that place partially because of that office building because there was a ton of space and rooms that they could use um and and sort of go deeper and deeper into the complex without you realizing how big that space actually was Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's it that that was part of why, but yeah, it's really weird to see an actual shot of that building. And they kept talking about because I was watching. Um, I didn't have the Blu-ray, but there's a ton of like stuff online, like interviews with the actors and the director about like how they what they were thinking and what they were trying to do. And, and I will say on this movie. Oh, go ahead. Were the Is actors what? on this movie? Yeah, I mean, well, and again, it's hard to know when you're watching press interviews but Mm -hmm. like they all seemed pretty like into what they were doing and they all seemed pretty proud of their work um there were some ballsy things like like jared harris said an interview where he was kind of like he's like you know it's like jaws and alien where you're you're isolated in this place and you can't get help and i was like dude you do not want to evoke jaws and alien right now (laughs) but i i get what they were sort of going for and i think too the manor was supposed to be like um the director talked about it as a visual counterpoint to Oxford um, sort of like visually and socially where, you know, you go from this big fancy place with a lot of wealth and intelligence to, you know, kind of the decrepit version of that. And instead of bustling with, you know, other people that are like-minded, you're now alone and separate from them and they're sort of, adversarial to you like you had to leave that place to continue the work you're doing and go against uh that sort of grain which again 
thematically is interesting, but I don't know that the movie explores that at all. Can I ask, did anybody find this moment with Brian a little weird where he he's sort of, you know, futzing with his camera and then Chrissy and Harry sort of, uh, you know, it's obvious that they're going off to have sex and they slam the door and he just... He starts shoving his camera parts away like he's he's kind of petulant. Like I want to be having sex, but no, I'm just you know what, little baby. Camera. It, this <laughs> this scene really just got on my nerves, and so did Brian because I don't know why he's like he just became obsessed with her, and I didn't see the appeal. And I get it, like I, like she's pretty, but she also might be possessed with a demonic force, <laughs> <laughs> so, which is a red yeah. flag. Yeah. And but he just sister. They can find love. It's well, crazy. it's also. I bet she's super submissive. Okay. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Jinx is like, all right. <laughs> and I'm out, everyone. It, Tapping out on it, that it, one. It's also super creepy because he's in a position of power over her. Like, it's completely inappropriate. All and... of you up to her probably being great in bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, to me, it started to go into sort of like incel culture a bit because she has a line where she says something like um where someone like can't or won't touch me or like you know like and, and she's mocking him at one point and and it and it it's it's supposed to be sort of targeted in a way that he is removed sort of removed from the sexual scene but angry about it, but it's by his own sort of doing like he's staying out of it, I guess. And and again, it's like, it's presenting all these like weird themes with his character, but, but to Zena's point, the movie doesn't do any legwork to, to layer it in. They just sort of happen. Yeah. And so when they do, do you're like, Oh, I like this guy, but now I don't. And I'm confused. (laughs) Like what's going on? The majority of the time she's just sitting on the floor and she's dirty, yeah. and it's like, when's the last time she showered, Brian? Do you care? And it's like he doesn't. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah. And she's very infantile. She's like treated like a ch- like she to me. She seems like an eight year old, not a yeah. mature woman. And so it's it's creepy. I mean, yeah, of course. Like Olivia Cook is a is a pretty woman, but like in this movie as Jane Harper, she does not feel like somebody that a person like Brian should lust after. And well, they even had that, that conversation later on where, when she's in the tub and she talks about looking at herself in the mirror and she sees she doesn't see a woman. She sees a little girl. And mm-hmm. nevertheless, he's still kind of staring at her like, you know, disagree. disagree uh, but, <laughs> and, you know, going to the incel thing, too, like, honestly, I didn't get that from the movie at all. But I think that's a fascinating idea. And it occurs to me now that you pointed it out that that was probably the intention. But if you're going to do that. Don't cast the super handsome, muscular British guy with a lantern jaw, you know, who <laughs> it just and I'm generalizing. But well, and sure. And, and again, a lot of this is is half baked. I think having a handsome guy in that role could be really interesting. But again, the movie earns none of it and does nothing with it other than just have a couple of scenes with dialogue regarding it. And then it's like he doesn't even care about his movie anymore. Like, what happened to that? Like, I don't know. Yeah. He, he doesn't that's, care. Zena, that is such a good point. Because that's the only reason he's there. Yeah. He doesn't care so, about the experiment. He doesn't care about these people. Like, I mean, he grows to care about Jane. But, like, but there's he... no real reason for him to be there other than making that movie. Unless we have to go one step 
further back and realize that the only reason he's a filmmaker is the reason that, you know, probably half the would-be filmmakers in college get into filmmaking in the first place, which is just to get laid. To pick up chicks. But well, at least yeah, and that would go Christina then. Like what? Right. And she, well, she was she claimed, like sort which, of, you know, that, that well, I mean, Christina uh, proves that she is not a one man woman throughout the film. And, <laughs> and I would argue that early on, she definitely is giving him the vibes. Like there's a few scenes where she's engaging with him that are like very flirty. The head he pursued, I think might've yielded something, but again, he's not that kind of person. And, and I agree, Jinx, like, you know, going into the incel culture thing, having him be a filmmaker is a perfect combination, certainly. Uh, and and they could have done a lot more with that. Uh, you know, what he was filming, what he chose to film, who he chose to film, when he chose to film it. You could have done stuff with Christina, um, you know, and uh, uh, what what is his name? Her boy, Harry? Is it Harry, her boyfriend? What do you think okay, Brian yeah, like, would have felt about uh, Zack Snyder's DC films? Uh, I think he would have voted for the fan Oscar for Zack Snyder <laughs> across the board. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, anyway. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I think like you could have had scenes where like Brian was filming and then maybe he walked by a window and he saw Christine and Harry having sex and he sort of like lingers on it for a minute. And like, there could have been some cool, creepy shit. And, you know, like you said, Jinx, you mentioned, um, uh, oh my gosh, what, what, it would what was the voyeuristic? Yeah. Uh, peeping Tom. Peeping Tom. Yeah. You, you could have done some Peeping Tom-esque stuff. I'm not saying make Brian a serial killer, but like make him more complex if that's what you want to do, you know, because as it was, it felt like this is supposed to be my protagonist. And then halfway through the movie, it felt like this is supposed to be someone I'm challenged by on a, on a morality scale. And that didn't really track with what the screenplay had done up until that point. And it does feel like maybe it is an attempt, you know, it feels like all of these characters have, if not arcs, certainly, but they have these little reversals. Like there's the surprise with Jane regarding Evie. There's uh you know, you, you mentioned with Christina, you know, she's kind of <clears throat> flirting with uh, with Brian, but then it turns out she's with Harry, but she's also with uh, Professor Joseph, you know. <laughs> um, Brian, you know, there there isn't a whole hell... Well, yeah, let's go to Joseph, too. Like, Joseph seems, on the surface at the very beginning, like a decent guy with, you know, uh, strong aims, but then he becomes slowly you know, something a bit more sinister. But by the time we get to the ending, uh, I still wouldn't call him a good man, but at least, you know, what's driving him, you know, uh, Brian is just kind of one note throughout, you know, mm-hmm. there, there isn't a whole hell of a lot that's done with him. And, um, yeah, if they just added a little more to him, if he had a little more depth, I think that ending could have, uh, been more impactful, you know, uh, but instead it's just kind of like, Oh, he seemed nice. That sucks. I I was going to say, and I think too, like, I know I'm just still stuck on this. I just don't understand why he, Brian was just obsessed with Jane. And I think that (laughs) if if it was just more on a, oh, you know, I really want to help her because guys, this isn't right. It just seemed like he only wanted her to get out of there because he wanted to be with her or sleep with her. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it, it didn't seem like it was anything more than that. 
it, it, do you think it might yeah. have been possibly because he felt the need to because at times it seems like he fancies himself a white knight who's going to save her, you know. Uh, it, it seems like uh, Joseph's interest in her is a little more, uh, uh, well, again, sinister. But then there's also the torture. There's the fact that he, you know, he, he's bullying her and doing horrible things. And, you know, in that regard, if uh, if Brian does see himself as a hero, he is a woefully inadequate one because he doesn't really do a damn thing. Um you know, it, it reminds me of Ray, and uh, I know he did last summer. Like, come on, or, or not Ray? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, Ray. Um, as lampooned in Scary Movie, do we all know what I'm talking about? When <laughs> when his girlfriend's getting the hell beaten out of her, and he's like, "Come on, come on, stop! Let's knock yeah, it off." Please. Hey, come on, please stop. Please. <laughs> come on, she's had enough. Come on. Uh, but no, in this, like, yeah, it's just I. I think it's a great question. Like, why is he interested in her? You know, why is he attracted to her? And the movie, unfortunately, I don't think has much of an interest in that beyond uh, just depicting it. You know, uh, they don't tell us enough about him to know why that would be the case. And we do kind of need that explanation, I think. That we should have. Yeah, otherwise, I, otherwise, he's just a shit person. I mean, that's the problem. Yeah. Like, if the explanation is she's hot then you're a, then Brian's a bad guy, you know? But I, I think you mentioned earlier that like at the end of the movie, Jared Harris's character, you know, is it, I, I do kind of see him as a villain once we, and I left this out of the synopsis. I apologize. There's this whole subplot about Jared Harris and his son. Well, I think to be, um, to be which, clear, I think he is a villain, but I think he goes from being yeah, a one that's villain to at least. Well, yeah, he's not one. No. That, that is true. That it, yes, I agree with that. Um, and, and I should say, like, so in a nutshell, uh, Jared Harris had this young boy patient that he was never able to cure of the same kind of problem. Uh, later, we and he says, oh, he's living somewhere, a fine life, a normal life, whatever. I don't know what happened to him. And then later we find out it was his son. And he basically drove him to be in an insane asylum where he died a very unceremonious, unpleasant death. And to me, and I don't know, I guess, let me ask you guys this. I felt walking away from that, that, that it's possible Jared Harris, like just experimented on his kid. And we don't really know if weird shit was, was happening around him or if he had that kind of psychic ability before those experiments or not. Like he just might've used him as a Guinea pig. That was kind of what I was walking away with or do you guys think that he he had the same power that uh evie had i i think he had the same power because there's that truly awful moment early on in the film where there's that uh that super eight footage of him banging his head against the wall which yeah. would have been creepy by itself it was black and white grainy footage of a child not able to stop himself from beating his head over and over again into the wall. Like that in itself is scary. But then they had to do the exorcism of Emily Rose, like super duper CG ghost face thing where uh, he doesn't actually make this noise, but watching the movie on mute now for the purposes of this commentary, when his eyes go black and his mouth gets super big and inky for about 48 frames. Like I heard this noise that was kind of like, um, you know, that's accurate. <laughs> I wish that had been the actual noise. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it would have been great. So, so no, I think that's the, that's the movie's way of like underlining with a Sharpie, like this is supernatural and, yeah. uh, just terrible. It's terrible. But, uh, no, I, I, I feel like 
I, I believe Joseph on that level that his his aims were to, if not help this particular girl, then at least suss out a cure from her torture, and uh, and all stemming from the fact that his son was similarly afflicted. Um, now he obviously went about it in a really horrible way, but. And, you know, it would have been nice to see him get his comeuppance, but we're kind of uh, denied that at the end. We just have to assume that he uh, he went up and smoked. Do I dislike this movie now? (laughs) (laughs) It's a weird movie. I mean, I again, I didn't dislike it, but I, I there's a lot of and that's one of the reasons I wanted to lay out the plot is it's very convoluted and it doesn't flow. Like, it's a movie that doesn't really flow one thing into the next. It feels very disjointed to me. Maybe that's a better word for it. It, it, it doesn't flow, you know? And that's that's yeah. what it is. Because um, around this part is when I became more interested into what's going on, you know? And I know that that's, yeah. like, I feel like that's pretty late into it. But And I'm all for, like, slow burns. And this wasn't even a slow burn. There was stuff that was happening. I, I guess I just... Yeah. I don't know. I just couldn't connect to it. I couldn't follow. And then also, I kind of wanted to take a step back. Um, So do you guys feel like, and forgive me if you did like answer and stuff like that, but do you feel like the professor that he's like a villain? Because I mean, maybe I'm a villain, but I, I don't feel like he is. And I mean, it was horrible. Yes. He's doing terrible things to this girl. Um, But you know, what's even worse is that there are people who went with him. Yeah. Yeah. And who permitted it, you know, because they don't have the benefit of the trauma that Joseph underwent watching this happen to his son. Mm -hmm. They're just merely there for the ride and they're letting it happen. So in a way, yeah, I mean, I do. I think Joseph's a villain. Absolutely. But that's a great point that you bring up where, you know, at least he has his reasons. What the hell do they have for being there? Because if they end up being right in the end, that they get to be a part of the team that did it. So there's a minor amount of glory that comes with it. And they're willing to trade away like a young girl's, mm-hmm. you know, well-being and potentially life in order for, you know, the shot at that fame, which yeah, is. Because what if they save her? What if they get this demon out of her? That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, and, and they're, and, and they're the operating guys. on. Well, I think I think anybody in a in a situation like this that's operating on borrowed convictions, right, is is suspect. Uh, And at the very least, Joseph is somebody that is doing what he set out to do. He believes he's right. He's one of those. And and Jinx, you said it best. He's not a one dimensional villain by any means. He he believes what he is doing is right and that he's doing the best possible thing that he could do. He's like the bad guy in The Rock right like he thinks he's doing the right thing what and he's no, you know there was no bad guys in that movie how dare you i mean <laughs> ed harris isn't necessarily a good guy he's gonna there, he's gonna there are worse than a ed bunch harris of toxins <laughs> yeah i'm just saying I, I love ed harris right? in that movie but but he he's gonna murder millions of people anyway uh deserve it uh, you know <laughs> sure okay <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that, that Joseph is, I do see him as a villain, but I don't see him as like a cut and dry, very bad guy, you know, bad guy in quotes or uh, capital letters villain. 
if that makes well, sense. And they want to and they want to kind of paint him that way early on where there is this sort of, uh, you know, because he is having the affair with Chrissy and because there is that weird yeah. moment where Which he slips into. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, he slips into Jane's room and he's kind of cradling her and you wonder that's terrible. Uh, you wonder yeah, if I didn't like that. The, the big haunting in Connecticut CG uh, throw up uh, blob. But uh, but no, there's that weird moment where it's like, okay, does he have any unseemly designs on Jane? You know, because he's slipping into a room at night and he's cradling her. But then when you find out what's driving him at the end of the movie, you realize that it isn't sexual, like when he's slipping into a room. It's like paternal. Like mm-hmm. when he's not torturing her during the day, he's comforting her at night like he would his child, you know, like he would his right. son. And it just it gives him more depth, I think, than he would otherwise have. Uh, it would have been so easy to paint him in a one dimensional manner and make him kind of a bastard. And it honestly, for the bulk of the movie, it kind of feels that way. But then yeah. once you get to the end and you realize kind of like what the key to that character is, it I don't know, it makes me appreciate him all the more. Again, I, I not to, to point this out, like to be specific, like I he is the villain, like he is a bad guy. I just. I appreciate the fact that he has something driving him. And it's funny, Zena and I were talking about this earlier, like about, you know, what the movie might possibly mean. And I I was trying to think about it in a way, you know, if I could really tie this back to earlier Hammer, to me, he seems like, if not Mary Shelley's creation, he seems very much like uh, Hammer's Frankenstein. Like it's it's the notion of being ready to willingly sacrifice others in pursuit of like scientific knowledge, you know? And uh, yes, yeah. And to me, like yeah. he is, he is very Hammer Frankenstein in that way. And so, to me, it it seems he he is a very Hammer villain in that way. Yeah, he he's kind of a, yeah. a Frankenstein created woman, Victor Frankenstein in a way. Like he's 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 fascinated by this otherworldly thing that he thinks he can sort of command and control, um, and he's cool with having people help him but they're not his priority you know they're there because they're kind of a necessary evil um and i do think that it says a lot about their character i mean this is a movie populated by people that aren't great people mm-hmm. but like the for a movie like that to really work you need to have a lot more subtlety and nuance yeah. <laughs> in the story and character development and this movie just like doesn't do that <laughs> so uh so we've gotten to that point where we need to do what we do with new hammer is everybody ready no wait wait what's happening seance oh are we there already yeah i think so we were oh, yeah. talking about him being i guess very... i guess we're like halfway through yeah okay all right we all yeah, right so xena right. what we've been doing with these new hammer movies mm-hmm. is uh we've been recasting the new hammer movies with classic hammer stars so uh so yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and go around the room. Zena, do you want to start or do you want to wait until um, the end? No, about because well, okay, I, don't kick me off the show. But remember, I was telling you like, <laughs> um, Hammer Hammer movies. I haven't watched like a whole lot. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Uh, and we should have had you on earlier. You should have been on for like a classic Hammer movie too. I'm sorry. It's okay. This time. But uh, okay, so in that case, um, Allie. Let's start what? with you. How would you cast this movie with classic Hammer stars? Okay, because I recently uh, just rewatched uh, Taste of the Blood Dracula, I want Ralph Bates to be every role. 
Like, I you just, know, Ralph Bates, Bates would be a great Harry. He would be, right? Like, he would work so well. Also, he's so good in that movie. He's brilliant. I love Ralph Bates. I wanted I more of him in that movie, but yeah, that he wasn't True. in it for all of it. I would agree with Ralph Bates as Harry. I think that's actually a good call. I'm going to say, um, I mean, I feel like I should say Peter Cushing as Joseph, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say Christopher Lee because there needs to be something. I would agree. I would 100% agree with that. I I wouldn't buy, for whatever reason, and I love Peter Cushing. He can be suave what he wants to be, but to me, you need a little bit of that Lee charm to pull off the, the Chrissy affair thing, I think. So. I would um I would do I think I would do Veronica Carlson as Jane. I swear to god I was going to say the same thing but I thought I would have to fight you on it think, because <laughs> I think that's the right call for Jane. Not because she looks anything like her but because she could play like yeah. Jane's innocence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But but that's, who do we get to play the Chrissy then? <sighs> That's a toughie. <laughs> Which it, um, it, it is, but it shouldn't be, right? Because no. like Hammer Vixen, we shouldn't need to reach No, that but it's got to be that. the right counterpoint to Veronica Carlson, too. It can't just be... I am going to say uh, Robert Morris, though, has to be Brian. Uh, Robert Morris mm. is Hans. In you know who I wish. Woman. You know who I who I would want it to be. If we're just saying like out of time and whatever, like a young Oliver Reed would be cool. Ooh. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A young he would Oliver be far more would interesting. Work. Way more interesting. Yes, as Brian. he would. He would make the role work. Like even with the same script, it would just work with. Because him. you wouldn't fully so trust him, which is kind of what no, that role needs. Right. It would be so good. <laughs> No, I agree with that. Okay, we still got to figure out Chrissy, and then we're good. Um, um, My vote was Linda Hayden. Done. Yeah, I could see that. Although you could almost, I swear, I think they would be great in the roles that we've just put them in. But equally, I don't think as actors they are interchangeable. But in those roles, I think you could almost swap Linda Hayden into Jane and Evie. And oh, yeah. uh, put Veronica Carlson in as Chrissy. And I think it would still work. Yeah, I think there's a versatility there. You know who else I was thinking is Christina? Um, Was Ingrid Pitt. Like, sexy seductress. Yeah, like, earlier. Kind of thing. Like, bring in the seductress element, because that was kind of her forte. I don't know. No, I get that. Just just a thought. Look at you guys, you hammer experts. We did it. We we, we do this. We (laughs) hammered it out. We (laughs) We should start letting our guests know. That that's going to be a thing we're going to do. Paul, like, we got two episodes left. We're just going <laughs> to yeah, ride true. this train to the end. <laughs> yeah, we're going to barrel yeah. through. Never mind. Now we're going to have comedies with hammer casts. Oh, I'm so excited for the comedy stuff we're going to do. Uh, anyway. He is beating Should we? Uh, huh? <laughs> yeah, he is. Dolls are scary. I mean, that's that's sort of a commonality in every movie. If there's a doll, it's just going to be inherently creepy. All right, Paul, I think I know what you were going to say. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but do you think we should go ahead and dive into talking about the uh, true story aspect of this? Yeah, yeah, I think it's time. And I apologize because you asked me to do that earlier and then I just didn't do it. <laughs> hey, the conversation went where it wanted to. Um, Allie, Cena, 
were you both aware beyond what the movie told you that this was based on a true story? Well, it said at the beginning, but I always assume that's a lie. You know what? What's really insidious about this movie, um, other than the fact that it obviously takes a couple of stylistic cues from Insidious, which don't work at all. But anyway, uh, at the very end of it, oh yeah, it does these photographs of quote unquote the real people. It does it does the conjuring thing. Uh, although at least with the conjuring, they can say that those are photographs of real people. Now, whether or not you believe that the events that occur as depicted in the conjuring movies are real or not, that's, it's entirely up to you, but those photographs are of real people. That's actually the Warrens that you see. That's actually the family members that you see at, at the end of each of those movies. We get to see real pictures, right? The quiet ones does this and it's complete bullshit. Like none of those people actually existed. None of the people in this movie are actually existed and yet they staged these photographs as though what we watched was uh you know very much a what would you call it a biopic or dramatization of real events uh when nothing could be further from the truth yeah i i kind of raised an eyebrow when i noticed that uh a young uh ray skywalker showed up at the end of this movie as um wait the, what tr- the real ev- yeah it's daisy ridley <laughs> no yeah in the Shut in the, the true door. photograph yeah that's daisy ridley <laughs> i had no idea <laughs> yeah i was like wait a minute <laughs> i don't think these photos are real well also can i ask you all because it, it i i haven't again i didn't do that much research on this uh but the footage at the end of Brian, the first time I saw it, I was like, for the first half of the scene, I was like, wait, is that Sam Claflin or is this somebody else entirely? And I was like, wait, is this actually meant to be the real guy? But then by the end of the scene, I was like, no, that's 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 Claflin. I think. Yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, it didn't look like him. No, no. Yeah, so they really it's trying to do the fourth dimension thing where it's like, OK, now we're showing you the real footage, you know, mm. I just, which if they yeah. really if they wanted to make this movie even more interesting, all of the found footage stuff that we see in this movie should have been with the other cast. Mm. Yes, it should have been. Oh, that would have been that would have been fun. It would make more sense. Yeah, at least then there would have been like a a, a reason, you know, like. That, would have given it a little Blair just, witchy verisimilitude, you know, but instead it's just kind of like. Well, my hot take is I actually think this would be a better movie as a found footage movie. I think it would and be we would have if it just we would was have a, found a hammer footage. found footage. How cool would that be? Yeah, like hammer has its cool. own found footage movie, but it doesn't because this movie. Well, and then, you know, the other great thing about it is it would cut all the stuff that we don't need. Like the really the almost the whole of the first act is entirely unnecessary. You you could really begin this movie in the house and we could just pick up on the fact that they lost their funding and they had to come out here. Yeah. You know, that, that stuff could just be sort of assumed as the, as the film progresses forward. Like you could do it for context too. You could do after the fact interviews with people involved, like say the board who originally funded yeah, the experiment, yeah, yeah. where, where they can explain yeah. why the hell they funded it in the first place. But you could do like that curse of the Blair Witch thing. Uh, yeah. And just yes. when we need to cut away, when we need a little context, don't invent yeah. reasons for somebody to keep the damn camera running, just cut to an interview. Yeah. 
Mm. I uh, I completely agree. (laughs) Why are you making these movies? I don't know. Uh, Yeah, Jinx is a better filmmaker than most. Um, I've made no films, Paul. He's a good writer. Yeah, but but like, you have the ability. You have the ideas, and that's the main thing. You have the ideas. I I mean, you have better ideas than me. That's all I'm saying. You know, Uh, uh, a pair of great filmmakers, Paul, were both being shown up here. Zena and Alec both are fantastic filmmakers. Oh, me? Thanks. You both have amazing shorts, and you know it. Oh, and so do you. You shut up. Everybody's shorts are better than mine. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> hey, but, 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 but they're but, not but, better but, than your daughters. Paul, I was, I was trying to shine a light on our co-hosts here, but I should also point out that, uh, okay, literally I have like two short films and they're not great, but Paul makes a short film at least once a year and they're always super clever and awesome and charming as hell. And yeah, then he hosts his own film festival. It's adorbs. Wow. Yes. And his daughters it's make fun. films, and it's cute. And not only that, but I will say this is true of all three of you, too, that all of your short films are really cool as short films, but also they have the kernels within them to be features. Like, uh, I just, I don't know. I feel that way. I, we, you know, I don't know how much each of you want to talk about your work, but I'm just saying that's how I feel as a fan. As a fan so. We want to talk about your work. Yeah. And there's no work yeah. to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> His writing is amazing. I know exactly. that. Yeah. Hey, this is not stop it. Um, I don't. I don't like this. Zena. Are your where? Where are your <laughs> are your films on YouTube? Zena. No, they're hiding. Um, so they're hiding. Okay. I, they're, they're hiding. Yeah, I'm a little I, bit shy. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to watch them. I, well, I would. She if, if, if is possible. Excellent. If I could get a link at some point, I would love to watch. <laughs> I it would love work. to. I would love to see yours, Paul, as well as yours, Allie. That would be great. I'll a thousand percent trade links with you. Okay, let's all trade links after the show. Yeah, because <laughs> I want to watch. <laughs> you know, but can I you would hear all of our listeners right now out there in listener land going like, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> <laughs> I will say, um, uh, Allie's most recent short that was playing the fest- festival circuit that I now have on VHS, which is pretty cool. Yes, uh, is yes. amazing. It's an amazing short, and I'm excited to see her. Uh, turn it into a feature eventually wow. I'm sure. congratulations thank verified. you I'm on vhs it's like the highlight of my life verified <laughs> oh, i bought that amazing. the second it was available same here uh verified <laughs> is amazing xena's she is excellent and uh there is one and xena you'll have to uh forgive me for forgetting the title <laughs> um but the uh the witch short was it, it wasn't season of the witch night of the witch Night of the Witch, thank you. Oh. Which has the creepiest design for which I've seen. And I'm I'm not saying this just because Zena and I are friends, uh, but it the the design of that character and how she moves is just what ugh. I want to see this. It's I like tic- this so something tickling up your spine creepy. So. Oh, cool. Very cool. Thanks. I right. appreciate it. But uh, imagine like I sent sent you guys the link. I sent I sent it to Allie and Paul, and they're like, Whoa, I hate it. And it's just like then what? <laughs> but then Jinx Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't possibly happen. <laughs> and everyone, okay. And I, will say this too, I am like, down. I am totally down. I'm so down. Like Paul has a short film that would make for the coolest revisionist slasher film ever yeah, if he ever decided to do idea. it as a feature. <laughs> Paul, are you are you do you not want that idea out in Don't podcast land or I, I don't care. I mean it's 
you know, it, I just make these things for fun. Nobody cares what I make, so it's, but it's a <laughs> yeah, it's it is a great <laughs> fucking idea though. Yeah, you can you can say whatever you want about it. I don't, don't say it. I'm like, oh, okay, Al, Allie, are you saying gonna... it's a bad idea? Okay, Paul, yeah. what I'm saying is, either right. I'll send I'll something. send it out if you guys want to watch it. I'll I'll send it out. Yes. <clears throat> Again, the listeners out there are like, oh come on. <laughs> this is the part of the commentary where we talk about each other which is fun yeah it's a fun part and we're all awkward but we're all like oh my god shut up no you're great <laughs> well that's how us creative types are <laughs> no just, stop you. like don't shine a spotlight on me i want to shine on you <laughs> <laughs> okay we still haven't talked about the true story aspect of oh, we haven't. Yeah. that's a really good point how do we keep getting around that it's like it doesn't want to be talked about is there Ooh, something creepy maybe on? it is real oh my gosh We've stumbled right. onto something. So there was something called the Philip experiment that I think sounds absolutely fascinating and would make for a great movie. Unfortunately, the quiet ones decided that that wasn't the case. And I don't really know in what <laughs> way this movie is based on the Philip experiment, because other than the fact that there is an experiment, there's really nothing to tie the two together. So Paul, do you want me to talk about it? Or do you want to tell people what the Philip yeah, I've talked a lot. You can, you can talk about it. Okay. So Did you know film, uh, there were two movies based on it, though? Just yeah, to I, that out. The other one is a movie called The Apparition, the Todd Lincoln film that came out in, uh, was it like 2011, 2012? Which is crazy, considering that. Okay, so the Philip Experiment occurred in 1972. And within, yeah, it was 2012, The Apparition came out. So hmm. 40 years later... Two films came out within two years of one another that were said to be based on it, and neither one seems to be at all based on it. So I don't know what the hell that's about. But anyway, <laughs> it was very true. It, it was a parapsychology experiment. It was done in the early seventies in uh, Alley's neck of the woods, and uh, basically there was a research society that wanted to do this control experiment where they created a fictional character. And they basically gave to this character a name and a history and like all of these details. And then once they did, they set up a seance to contact said fictional character. <clears throat> to me, like could make for the coolest movie. Like you could start getting into like tulpas and like some really interesting stuff there. And uh, instead, you know, neither of the movies really do a damn thing with it, which bums me out. Are you saying Canadians did this? Yeah, they were they were in yeah, Toronto. Yeah, it was in Toronto. Why have I never heard of it? I've lived in Toronto for many a moon. Now I'm like kind of mad at myself for not knowing fun the, Canadian wouldn't history. Wouldn't it be a neat quiet one's twist if like Allie were somehow like involved or stemmed from said experiment, much like Jane and Evie, and we didn't know about it until this podcast? <laughs> It's not the same. She keeps trying to change the subject so we don't talk about it, which is why we haven't talked about it all damn podcast. Well, okay, so it's not the same, but it's not dissimilar. There was a a quote-unquote institution somewhat like this where they just treated children like shit. It was all for, like, I don't know what the correct term is. I don't want to say disabled because I don't know if that's correct, but, like, mentally handicapable people would go there back in like the 60s and the 70s and they treated them very poorly a documentary just came out about it that i just watched but through learning about this documentary found out that my mom worked at the sister one and that's why i learned all about it and i was like i wasn't born there right 
<laughs> if we start hearing weird voices on this podcast, I'm out. Like I can't. <laughs> can't My computer it. desk just lifted up and tilted on a single leg, so I, I'm a little yeah. freaked out. Uh, yeah, I I think there's a better movie there. You know, I think I think you do a movie too. Like that could be an interesting twist where half the movie they're trying to conjure the spirit, and then you find out that it isn't a real spirit; it's made up. And all the weird shit, you know, like you could do some interesting things. Oh, you know, opening... that reminds me. There's a there is a recent movie that did something similar that I love, but I can't name it because that would spoil part of the fun. But do we all know what I'm what I'm thinking of, Paul? Like, do you Can you say, say it in the chat and then maybe we'll all know? Yes. Yeah. yeah Unless like I th- I'm almost certain. That how Allie old is it? I mean, is it really that is it too new to talk how- about? Yeah, you how Ali Ali saw it in theaters during the pandemic, but a lot of us didn't see it until it hit HBO Max, and uh, it still doesn't have a good physical release, even though it was a big studio. Oh, film. I know what you're talking about. I don't I think. Know. I don't know what we're talking about at all. Okay, HBO Max gave it away, and then the the release not having a good Blu-ray. See, I'm a physical media guy, so if you, if you reference me, physical media, then I'm going to get it. <laughs> yeah, but if you reference. Movies that are now on HBO Max. I'm like, well, I've seen so many that I also saw in theaters. Okay, he's Allie, clearly talking that. about the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> but I never saw that. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not the Batman. Uh, yeah. Ali, check our uh, Instagram chat. I just messaged you. I hesitate telling Zena because I don't know that Zena's seen it. And Zena, uh, if you haven't oh. seen it, oh, I'm going to okay. give it that's like that's a that's week, that's and that's I'm going to tell you about three different movies you need to watch and. Okay. It may or may not be one of them. So, it's a good call. I like that movie a lot, and it should get a better physical media release. Yeah, very good movie. One of my favorites. <clears throat> and we're, we're still not talking about the podcast. true story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you just you laid it out. You laid it out. <laughs> yeah, story. I mean, that's that's kind of the gist of it, right? Like, the, like I mean, what you the, just the said. The only thing they did the uh, so they did the seance and like nothing happened. But then apparently the guy who was running it uh, created like a, a weirder mood, like what you would expect out of a seance you would see in a movie by, you know, pulling the lights down. And uh, then like strange things started to happen. The table started to move. Uh, there were like weird echoes and whatnot. And uh, but at no point did the fictional character ever appear. Uh, but it, it, just as the starting idea for a film, I think you can make something really fascinating out of that. And uh, instead we got the apparition and the quiet ones. And I will say like in, in the case of the apparition, um, beautifully made movie. So worth checking out for that alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember it was kind of a big deal when it came out in 2012, because when a lot of movies of that, a lot of movies at that level, like lower budget horror films, even if they were going into theaters, they were all lensed digitally. And I remember uh, Todd Lincoln, uh, the guy who made the film, uh, he was the guy who was attached to uh, Hack Slash for the longest time, the comic book adaptation. And he made one of the short hmm. films, uh, I think for VHS three or uh, it wasn't called VHS three. What the hell was it? Uh, VHS viral, maybe. Um, viral. Yeah. Yes. So he did the short film that actually wasn't in theatrical release. It was only available on the physical media release uh, that is like super cool and very visual and very visionary and like just absolutely crazy. Anyway, he insisted on uh, 
shooting the apparition on 35 millimeter back in the day. And after seeing digitally lensed movies like this for a few years, I just remember seeing the apparition and thinking like, man, this looks great. Like this is, this is a beautiful looking movie. And I didn't know how much I missed the look of film. Speaking of which weird transition, but I have to let you all know this and uh, let everybody in listener land know this too. There is a link that went up on Twitter today of a guy who had, uh, I think he has like some sort of like 35 millimeter scanning bed. And he has been taking 35 millimeter movie trailers and scanning them and putting them up on YouTube and high definition. Nice. And huh. so you get like the film grain and you get the scratches and the grit and the bulk of them are between like the, you know, like 2000 and 2005, like roughly around in that era. And just watching trailers scanned from 35 millimeters <laughs> instead of being like pristine and clean. Um, they look so damn good coming off of the film that I I'm, I'm waiting for that like sort of renaissance where people really hardcore start going back to shooting on film or making movies look like film. You know what I mean? And uh, don't know if it'll ever happen because of the the expenses involved, but I kind of wish it I wish it would. I wish it would. That'd be fucking sweet i do too you made me really want to watch the apparition it's 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 worth watching it's not it it caught a lot of hell when it came out uh and i think a lot of that was due to the fact that ashley green starred in it and this was around the time that uh the twilight movies were sort of you know in their heyday and you know everybody devin sawa is also in or no, it was uh, Sebastian Stan, uh, Tom yes. Felton. Um, I Felton, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Well, I uh, I just ordered it on Amazon, so <laughs> I will see it soon. Yeah, well, I just ordered the new Blu-ray advanced copy of Vampire's Kiss. Nice. Ooh, I already have that on somebody. Oh, Screen Factory did it with um, MVD. Uh, now once, once it. bitten. Once Bitten was on. And if it makes you feel Jim Carrey vampire movie. So good. Oh, yeah. I love Once Bitten. That was one of the first articles I ever wrote when I started writing online. I wrote wrote about Once Bitten. (laughs) That's a good movie. (laughs) By the way, if it makes you feel any differently about the apparition or if it makes you want to see it anymore, I will note that when the film started out, it was initially financed by Dark Castle. So in a way, it's kind of like a secret Dark Castle movie. If I hadn't have already bought it, I would have bought it. Zena, have you seen The Apparition? Uh, I, I was just about to say, I haven't seen it yet. It's been on my list for the longest time. But I do remember when it came out, like, so many people were saying that they hated it. It's not... It, here's the thing. It, it does it have its weaknesses. Yes, absolutely. I, I think the movie was unfairly maligned because of the... I just remember the movie theater that I worked at. And honestly, any Twilight actor showing up in something else would inevitably be a, a source of ridicule. Uh, which is unfair because I think Ashley Green actually acquits herself very well yeah, in the movie. I think she's awesome. quite good. Beautiful looking oh, yeah. film. Yeah. Um, does it fully come together? But you know what? I would probably put it on the same level, weirdly enough, as The Quiet Ones. Like it, it has a lot of pros going for it. It has some cons sure. too. But uh, is it yeah. worth a watch? I think absolutely. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, let's talk about John Pogue, the director of this movie. And his career. Because <laughs> it's an interesting career. This is his best film. I'll say that. I don't know, man. He wrote U.S. Marshals, so. 
What do we? I doing? said what I said. That movie's amazing. <laughs> oh, are we not U.S. Marshal stands on this podcast? Because um, did he also write the skulls? He wrote the skulls. Absolutely, yeah. he wrote all fucking three skull movies. Yeah, and oh, you know, one, the... two, and. Three. He wrote the Rollerball remake. Okay, he, and, wrote, uh, he wrote Ghost Ship. And Ghost Ship. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Okay, he, yeah, he wrote. He wrote one of the best openings to a horror movie ever. You know, <laughs> he's Ghost Ship. For a fact, a I actually did an article on Ghost Ship, and that scene was not in the original, in the original draft. So yeah, Pogue did probably write that. Um, he he directed Deep Blue C three, which why it wasn't called Deep Blue three, I'll never know. But um. That's a missed opportunity for it sure. So is. <laughs> it should have. And here's the thing: you it should have been Deep Blue Three D. You know, like 100%. make it three D. But it, uh, they're on. not going to do that for a straight to DVD release. Uh, they should have, but they didn't. I, uh, I, I have a funny three D anecdote, real quick. That's horror oriented. If I, if I may say, um, is that okay? Do I have permission, Jinx? What the hell? <laughs> like, we, we, we just, we just throw things out here. Okay, I'm doing it. Um, I was watching Double Zena, Dare. Zena, he makes Parent. me sound like an ogre. God damn it. Like, See, he interrupts it. That's why I can't do it. No, it's... I was watching the... I was watching the 80s kid game show Double Dare on Paramount+. Plus. Are we all familiar with Double Dare? Yeah. That's streaming yeah. now? Oh, all 280 episodes are on I Paramount Plus. I grew up with that show. I need and, to leave right oh, now. Oh, Jake, it is it is a delight to rewatch that shit. It is wild. Like that show is so insane, and you could just tell that they didn't know what the fuck they were doing, and there was just no oversight. Um, anyway, I've been watching it with my daughters. Uh, I've been showing them old Nick. We've been watching that and Legends of the Hidden Temple, Three. which is. Which right. is just the greatest show. Um, anyway, so we were watching uh, Double Dare, and a question came up, and it, and it, and the episode was like three D themed, and and he, and the question was which Jaws sequel was filmed in three D, and I was like, <laughs> kids, oh no, it's it's the answer oh, is not. obvious, you know, <laughs> the the third one, right? Like you know, Jaws three D, and uh, you know, the kid goes. The kid's like, dare, you know, because he doesn't know. And the other kid's thinking. And usually when a kid dares on Double Dare, it goes, dare, Double Dare, physical challenge. They, d- they don't ever answer the question. They just go straight to physical challenge. The second kid goes, Jaws 3. And Mark Summers, the host, pauses and looks at the judges because that's not the full title. The full title is Jaws 3D. They're not going to give it to these kids. And I'm like, uh-huh. okay, first off. These are children. <laughs> they, like the fact that they got it right. And the judges are like, you know, just give it to him. Just, you know, and like dinged it and they gave it to him. But I, I was, I was going crazy. But the thing I was most proud of, and the reason I bring this up was my, my daughter, when he, the second he asked the question, she was like, Oh, just 3d. <laughs> she knew right away. And I was like, oh, I've done so something right as a father that my my eight and eleven year old girls both immediately knew the answer to that question. That's awesome. <laughs> and you know what's cool? Well, I don't know if it's cool, but um, you, with you saying like it just seemed like with the show Double Double Dare that they didn't know what they were doing. Well, yeah, I watched the documentary, The Orange Years, the Nickelodeon story, and uh, the host yeah. was just saying how yeah we had no idea. He literally said. We had no idea what we were doing. And they uh yeah. for the kids' lives sometimes because they wouldn't test out the uh like the 
little test out things that they would have to do. That's funny. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's part of the charm. I think that's why it works well and like has a lot of rewatch value is, is yeah. Cause I read the, um, what was the book they released? The Nickelodeon, uh, there's, there's like a, a tell all sort of, uh, autobiographical book about the, the company and how they say it. it's, it's really good. It might be yeah. called like slime or something, but, um, it's a really good book. Um, I haven't seen the documentary. I have to watch that. Is that streaming it, somewhere? It's on Hulu. On Hulu. Of course. <laughs> I, apparently I need to log on to Hulu more <laughs> I'm definitely paying for it um, No, I'll, I'll definitely watch that Nickelodeon was a, a very big part of my childhood And, and I'm happy I, I, You know, I think Paramount Plus is worth the price of admission For all of the Nickelodeon content Because it's it's helping me bring that same stuff to my kids um, mm-hmm. And they're loving it which, is, which has been really cool to see I, I love that Yeah, when you do check out the documentary Well, I, I, since you grew up with it I think that you're going to enjoy it Because it just, it brought me back Gave me all the feels Like all the oh, shows wow. yeah. that, that I watched You know, Pete and Pete Oh, Pete and Pete it all, oh. Ari Faye of the Dark <laughs> Yeah Yeah, Ari Faye of the Dark was definitely uh, Definitely Probably my a gateway horror You know, for me it was Goosebumps And Ari Faye of the Dark <laughs> That were my, yeah. my entryways to horror So yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'll check that out. I think, weirdly enough, bringing this full circle, I believe John Pogue actually directed episodes of Double Dare. Wow. Ooh. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was going to say, okay. there's, there's gonna, no way, I, really? I, <laughs> wouldn't that, that be crazy, my though? Mind. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be like a Jane to Evie kind of twist? Oh, but man. didn't he also, though, you know, just since we're speaking of him, wasn't he like a producer for the Fast and Furious? The, the first one, not with the one where they're in space. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was a uh, producer on the original one, which is weird because he's not listed as a writer. Up until that point, he was only known for writing U.S. Marshals and the Skulls. So why he is listed as an executive producer on a big studio movie, like a big Universal movie, I, I can only imagine he did like rewrite work or he somehow landed them Paul Walker uh, because of the skulls. But otherwise, uh, no maybe. clue. I don't know how he got the U.S. Marshals job. That's my curiosity because that was a that was a big sequel. A big job. Yeah. And 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 it's a I said it before. It's a great fucking movie. I don't know if you guys have seen U.S. Marshals lately, but it holds the hell up. It's a great follow up. to <laughs> It doesn't get enough credit. Anyway. Uh yeah, no, I, I, I think he does. I mean, I don't he know the Rollerball huh? remake, which is unforgivable. I didn't see it. I didn't oh. see Rollerball. Oh. I, I, I actually saw it I in theaters that. because Pink is in that movie. Is she? Yes, that's why I saw it. I was super like, what? My girl Pink's in it. I got to go watch it. I mean, John McTiernan directed it. It's a remake of one of the great 70s, like, dystopian sci-fi movies. There's no yeah. reason for that movie not being incredible, and it is not incredible. Mm. Mm. Okay. It's, it's just funny to me that me. Rollerball got such a big, you know, expensive remake. Uh, and you know what's crazy? It sounds so original. bad. Uh, it's funny that everyone is kind of up in arms right now over Doctor Strange not being rated R. Um, and we're talking about, of all things, the Rollerball remake. But I remember when it came out back in the day, McTiernan shot a hard R-rated movie. 
And instead of cutting scenes out, because the entire like third act of the movie, I, I will give it credit for sort of hewing close to the original in this regard. It's just violent as hell. So everyone is bloody as hell at the end of the movie. Everyone is beat to shit by the time you get to the end credits. They couldn't merely cut just the last act. So what they did to secure a PG-13 rating so they could uh, sell more tickets, they thought, they recolored the blood so that if you were to watch that movie in theaters like I did back in the day, it looks like everybody is bleeding mud. I kid you really? not. It, they didn't even do the thing where blood looks black, like it's a, you know, kind of like a monochromatic sort of thing where it's like, oh, the blood is just really dark. No, it was literally like brown. Oh. They yeah. were bleeding brown at the end of the movie. It's weird as hell. Uh, it and sounds just gross. It's yeah. awful. Awful. I didn't see it. Yeah, I skipped that one. Can't say it sounds like I made the, the right original decision. Movie. You did. The original is great. I have the. Um, I actually picked up the Twilight Time of that one. I did too. when it was still in print. And that was one of the rare ones that actually went back into print. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I didn't snag the original. I snagged the uh, the re-release. I think I probably have the re-release. I would think. I don't know. So I will say one thing, like looking at Pogue's filmography, you know, he did Quarantine 2, he did uh, Deep Blue 3, um, he he did Eraser Reborn, which is a franchise reboot, I don't know who, like who was calling for that? Who saw the original Eraser yeah. and was like, you know what, we don't have Schwarzenegger anymore, but that character, we just need more of him. So, uh, yeah, they're rebooting that and he directed it. Um well, good on him for still working, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, here's the thing. For all the stuff that he's done, I will say, I think the quiet ones, even for, you know, it's, uh, it's rampant dips into uh, cheap jump scares, is a handsomely made movie and is a competently made movie. I The bulk of my problems with the film don't really come from the direction. It's more the writing, I would say. So, you know, good on you, John Pogue. Uh, you know, who knows? If he got his hands on a great script, maybe he would make a really good movie. Yeah, I mean, my only criticism would maybe be the way the found footage stuff is utilized and how it's injected in the film. But again, I don't know how much of that was him and how much of that was like studio decision making, because some of this movie feels a bit made by committee to me. Oh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a filmmaker's vision in that way. Not to get all like hoity-toity about about some uh, you know weird lower budget horror movie from the aughts, uh, but it, it, you know it doesn't feel direct. Like when I watch Woman in Black, that feels even for all its faults, that feels like someone's vision. That feels like I'm getting you know what somebody wanted me to see. This feels like every other scene I'm getting what a different studio exec wanted me to see. Yeah, I get that, which I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't lay that at his feet, you know, if that were the case. Um, mm -hmm. But I but I see what you're saying and I don't disagree. Um, this is a cool shot right here. Oh, yeah. yeah. By the way, a cool long take. This stuff, I, I could have handled more of this, like more of this would have made me very into mm -hmm. this movie. Could you imagine this sort of energy in the final 10 minutes, like if they had somehow managed to expand that for the entire back half? Yeah, that would have been great.
a little more, a, a little more a little, taking of Deborah Logan. Yeah, or there's yeah. even a little bit of Evil Dead to that. You know, where it looks at the ceiling and runs upstairs, and you're following this person who flew up outside. You know, like there, there's definitely ingenuity to the filmmaking there that that feels kinetic in a way that like the rest of the movie never really achieves. I will say it's a cop out to have Chrissy lifted into the air, flipped upside down, thrown through the second floor, dragged through all of these rooms, only to find her dead on the other side of the door. Mm. And Harry gets his neck broken. Like, it's like, that's it. That's all. That's, that's how it. Harry gets out. Who is that? feels a bit like, like necessity. I, <laughs> I think it was Xena. I think no, Zena's it wasn't. Giveaway. It wasn't me. It was just that it was really loud, but that, I swear that wasn't the typing. <laughs> That was like furious typing too. Alan was, was, was I was trying to type so quietly so you wouldn't hear. It was like thup, 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 thup. it was like oh, Jim Carrey it. typing in Bruce Almighty. How dare you? <laughs> Answer. It sounded like God answering emails. This is what Jinx was <laughs> getting at. Okay, well me. <laughs> Yahweh. Speaking of Jim Carrey, I just watched Liar Liar again for the first oh, time in like so twenty years. Good. <laughs> oh my god. Hilarious. I will say I missed my opportunity to watch it in theaters because I insisted on catching Scream for like the third or fourth time. Uh, and it had already been out we for like five or money, six months. We bought money, but Liar Liar didn't. Yeah. That's terrible. Well, it was the, uh, it was the good Scream, so it's okay. Uh, there are like four good Screams. Yes, there are. Yeah. Yes, there are. So well, this podcast got quiet. Well, we're at so, the ending. We're at the ending. I, you know what? Okay, Zena, I'm going to clue you into something. About three episodes ago, uh, we all talked about Scream, and it took an hour and 15 minutes for us to get through it. So the fact that Allie and Paul were deadly quiet just now means that they know that if they got me started, we would be on the mic for another hour and a half or so, and they don't want to do that. So That's we're just going to move. I will say one more thing about Pogue. <laughs> to give him credit for one thing. Seriously. A bad director can ruin uh, um, a great actor's performance. Doesn't matter how good the actor is, like if the direction isn't there, they can they can tank a performance, right? Like maybe maybe a really great performer can overcome a bad director, but the fact that the performances in this movie are all uniformly pretty damn good. I think at least, you know, that's a testament to Pogue's ability to work with actors and pull good performances from them. Would I would I be out of bounds to say that? No, I don't no, think so. No. And I think, you know, I, I feel like I've been accidentally a little more negative than I intended to be on this podcast about this movie. I do think this movie is peppered with very, very good performances, particularly Jared Harris and Olivia Cook. Mm-hmm. They both deliver wonderful nuanced performances regardless of the material they're given i i feel the same way and i think that that's why um i I wasn't like super crazy about the movie but i did have fun with it but especially even seeing the performances and then again like the last 20 minutes it well okay like 40 40 minutes you know that's better i think that things like really get like super interesting at least for me like, I wanted more. Yeah. And I would say Olivia Cook, too. Like, Jared Harris continues to work to this day. He works frequently. He is, he is always fantastic. He was in Chernobyl. He was in The Terror. He was in... Uh, Older guy's garbage. 
Yeah, he was in that, but we forgive him because he was he was good. Right? Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> Everyone does Olivia, a little bit of garbage. <laughs> Olivia Cook though was excellent in Base Motel. She's great in this. She's done a few things, yeah. but I haven't really seen her in anything. Is she? You know what? I'm gonna Wikipedia yeah, her now and see what's on going on. Ready Player One. She was in. Um, yeah, I was gonna say she had. She was in Ready Player One, right? Yeah. The other one, she was in Sound of Metal, if you saw that one recently. I did not. Uh, she was in Thoroughbreds in 2017 with my girl Anya, Anya Taylor. That oh was really cool my movie. god. How good Thoroughbreds is, that? is one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. Yep. I love, okay, um, I love I'm Thoroughbreds. so sorry, I just looked it up. She's doing the big Game of Thrones prequel. She's good. She's fine. She's fine. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said uh, she hasn't been working, I was like, she was in a Spielberg movie. She starred in a Spielberg film. Yeah, but that was also like a decade ago, wasn't it? Or like four years what? ago. It was, one of it the was other 2018. Things. Paul, it was pre-2020. All right, that was a decade ago. <laughs> pre-2020. Dude, like, you, if you're, I'm sorry, if you star in a Spielberg film, you're good. Like, you're in a good place creatively. Not if it's, uh, not if it's uh, that, that West Side Story. I don't think you're completely good. Uh, West Side Story was probably the best movie of last year. So. Yeah, but there's at least one actor who's probably not good, even though he was in a well, Spielberg. Well, he did terrible things. He did. But like, that's not. I'm not going to let that ruin the movie. Terrible things. What, like The Skulls? skulls How dare good. you? The Skulls is a great movie. Skulls is good, man. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm one of the people, like, because Ready Player One caught a lot of hell. I really liked Ready Player One. I loved like, it. I, I thought it was great, and I don't understand why people hate it, but whatever. Um, I remember, okay, so going back into ancient history with uh, Zena and I, I actually worked with Zena's husband at a bookstore, and one of the first conversations that he and I had, uh, well, actually, one of the first conversations he and I had was about Zena. He was like, wait, you like horror movies? Funny that you mention. And then uh, and then I was doing Zena's podcast like two days later. It was awesome. Um, yeah, oh, that's great. funny. But one of like the second conversations that he and I had, um, he recommended uh, the book Ready Player One to me, and so it was oh, always okay. kind of like it was like, oh, okay, wait, isn't this becoming a movie? And he was just like, yep. So, and what's crazy is I don't think Zena did Rico ever mention what he thought of Ready Player One the movie. Like, did it live up to the book for him, or do you know where's Rico? Can you invite him on real quick? I mean, <laughs> no, really, sure, I can grab him. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yell at him. Why not? Okay, give me give me a second. <laughs> We're bringing this. him on. I love guest stars to talk about Ready Player One in our Quiet yeah. Ones commentary at the finale. You know what? The Quiet Ones had it coming, Paul. I feel like we've built. I was going to say, I think, I think we're coming to a conclusion about the Quiet Ones yeah. here that is it, not predominantly positive. You know the the biggest twist in the Quiet Ones is that. Maybe it's not as good as I thought it was after I after we talked it out. And this rarely happens. Like when I when I make up my mind about a movie, it's and Paul, Ali, you both know this from just us podcasting together. But I'm pretty firmly set in my ways. I would say we all are typically. Yeah. Yeah. Over the fair. course of this conversation, I've I've yeah I it's it's the quiet ones maybe has dropped a bit. Minus, but this fire is fucking terrible. I know. Well, and it's particularly disappointing because it's a hammer fire. Oh, God, I hate that. It's a hammer fire. Can I just say, one of the things I hated the most about this movie is, like, when it would do a jump scare, it would do a really high pitch, like, 
like squeal sound that just I don't know. I found really grating and not scary, just kind of annoying. And I wanted to turn my receiver down every time. I'm like, I can't Claflin or not. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, I think it is. Is okay. it? I think he just looks weird. So that's... that's him with oh. makeup on and stuff. But why? why would they give him a camera? Can I just ask that? Would they really give him a giant camera if he was this crazy? <laughs> okay, now see, that looks like Claflin. I swear they've tried to do something. What they thought, because his hair just changed. Like the dude. Well, now we it's like slick him, back. Yes. Right? Well, no, no, no. The guy had a higher hairline before and his hair was longer in back. And that's oh. clearly. So maybe it wasn't. Claflin. I don't know. I think they were trying to do this thing where it's like, okay, we're showing the, you the real footage, and now we're going to show you the guy that you've gone through the movie. Oh, well, if that's yeah. the case, that was really poorly done. Yep, I agree. I agree. Okay. I hate I, these sorry. photographs. I hate that they would do. Oh, wait, is he in the back? I'm I'm back, and, and Rico's here to give his thoughts about Ready Player One. Rico, hey, what's going on? Long time to talk to. Oh man, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, I just want to introduce you, Brent. Well, 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 introduce yourself, Rico. Welcome to the podcast. Allie, Paul, oh. Rico, Rico, Allie, Paul. Hello. Hi, Rico. Hello. Hey. So, uh, I'm the husband of the sexy Zena. So, Rico, uh, you, it never occurred to me before, but you have a great podcasting voice. You do. You do. Well, I appreciate that, guys. Man, you're making you. me feel good about myself. You, you should come on for <laughs> Woman in Black too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about the woman of life the with next, next episode? <laughs> the whole That's thing. The, the, the person died, and we knew they died because there was. A well, shoe. okay. Um, so, Jason, I don't know if you're still in uh, Florida or not. You're always somewhere in the world, but the woman <laughs> in James, the the woman in black. Um, they had a, a part where uh, I think a, a shoe was left or yeah. a hat. A shoe. Yeah, a shoe, right? So every time I would, uh, you know, trying to travel around Florida, I would always see, like, a shoe left somewhere. Just just one shoe, like, never, like, a couple <laughs> of shoes. So anytime I went to the mall, but it, it happened after this movie. But my thing is, like, have you been witnessing a lot of, like, just leftover clothing, like, around Florida? Uh, No. No, but I haven't really been – I haven't been paying attention. I will say it did freak me out that um, when I did work at that bookstore that you and I worked at, that um, I think it was Greg who mentioned just <laughs> sort of nonchalantly off the cuff one day. He was like, yeah, I opened one morning, and uh, I was just hanging out back, and I uh, you know, found a dead body. Yeah. And he yeah. was like, anyway, if you want to go ahead on break now, and I was like, wait, well, uh, need to, we need to rewind a second. No, okay, let me tell you how it was presented to me, right? So, <laughs> I come into the office, man, and he's like, uh, hey, so, you know, I found something in the back. And I'm like, all right, man, what's up, dude? And then he goes, uh, yeah, you know, so, there was this guy. He was uh, laying down when I was trying to get my little cigarette on. And, uh, yeah, he, um, I was like, hey, dude, you can't sleep back here. And I, And he wouldn't listen. So, I walked up to him, and I said, you can't sleep back here. And he kicked, and I kicked him in in the, in the shoe. <laughs> and uh, but he wasn't asleep; he was dead. Don't tell the story like Jeez. that, bro. Like <laughs> he buried the lead. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's dead. 
Yeah. Crazy thing, he was only wearing the one shoe. And yeah. to this day, we don't know where that other shoe is. Yeah. Uh, God almighty. That's uh yeah, that that story always creeped me out. And I remember thinking, like, no matter what this job demands of me, right, I am not going out that back door. I right. to this day, I don't know what it looks like behind that store. I have no clue. Like it <laughs> yeah. it exists only in my guessing what it looks like back there, but it's uh it's not happening. I'm not going back there. Amazing. Hey, yo, hey, I got beat up back there um by a shopping cart. <laughs> wow. Seriously. Yeah. So, um, you know, we got these new shopping carts at the store and, and they were beautiful, bro. So like, uh, you know, I was like, all right, well, we could throw the old ones away. So I had my uh, my co-managers, you know, Becca, like uh, she, it's on camera, dude. And I shouldn't have never done that because, you know, <laughs> I had the Western music playing and I'm like, I, I ran very far and I had her like, you know, the camera on and I'm coming back with the shopping cart, bro. And then, you know, I was talking to the shopping cart, pointing at it. And like I kicked it, but it went through one of the uh, like the back part that kind of raises up, and my leg got stuck and it got scratched and everything, dude. And it was uh, it was horrible. <laughs> I, had, I needed help getting a loose from it. It was it was pretty bad. I remember one of the most intense times I've ever had working any place ever uh was the day and this is how we're ending the quiet ones commentary so uh <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say this is great we're, we're back exactly to the main screen on amazon prime the you know the quiet ones had it coming i feel like you know what if it had been more interesting <laughs> we maybe we'd have piece. more to say but uh we we talked ourselves out on it and now we're going to talk a little ready player one uh but no before that i just want to say like to Rico's credit, like he one of the creepiest moments I've ever had working anywhere was uh, I was I was standing at the register and I happened to turn around and Rico's outside dealing with uh, an agitated customer, say. Oh, and I just and I just step out and this guy is like threatening Rico, but also kind of talking out of his head. He's talking about like aliens inhabiting people and how you can tell that they're aliens because they smell bad, but also he's going to hurt Rico. And I just remember thinking like, this is this, what the hell is going to happen? Is he going to attack him? Like I remember uh, Tyler standing in at the cafe, just watching the entire thing. Like, yeah, I'm just going to hang back and see what happens. <laughs> Me, I'm like taking my radio off slowly. Like, do I have to tackle anybody? Like, do I have to, yeah, yeah. Do I have to revert back to my, <laughs> period when i was a damn mall cop that's a long story uh and no to rico's credit he like very calmly talked the guy down and like got him help but that was i don't know my my i'm tipping my hat to you for that sir for uh for handling like a really intense situation very very calmly uh yeah, man, I, I was more fearful for him because i saw you come out of the yeah I'm like, Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> if i was i was his hand on him then uh we're, we're both screwed no, no. If anything, you should have been afraid for yourself because if I'm the best backup that you have, we're both in trouble. Uh, but uh, but no. Okay. So the reason we brought you on, Rico, uh, the conversation somehow, some way, took us to discussing Ready Player One. And as I informed everyone, you recommended the book to me uh, because you said you, you, you know, it was like one of your favorite books at the time. Yeah. Unfortunately, you and I were not working together by the time the movie came out, and for whatever reason, in catching up, we had never gotten around to talking about the movie. Did you like the film? Did you not like it? Did it live up to the book, like for you, or how 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 did you feel about it ultimately? It was incapable of living up to the book, unfortunately, and um, one of the reasons why is because of the restrictions that were placed on it, because 
I think they were just restricted to Capcom and and some other things, which you know, not not bad. I mean, I'll take a, um, you know, Street Fighter and stuff all day long. But we had games that uh, you know, like Zelda referenced in the in the book, Final Fantasy referenced in the book, um, just stuff that you really uh, other areas that a lot of us grew up on and. You know, um, hearing that that Zelda music when you're like running through a dungeon or something like that um, while you're reading Ready Player One, you know, um, that was like the main thing for me. So seeing that, um, I don't know, their hands were tied in in a certain sense. It it just didn't live up to the book, and that's just on one side, you know. So, but that that was the biggest thing that. Um, that stood out to me. Um, I just didn't feel the essence of like a true gamer. Kind of like the, the sad part is I felt that Scott Pilgrim was um, more in tune with the gamer than Ready Player One. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I can't argue that. I I, I adore Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. So yeah, and you're right. The Scott- movie was kind of a. Uh, hamstrung it it can only really do like warner brothers ip i think mm-hmm. so uh but i will say that the shining sequence the that 10 minutes where they did the shining was maybe my favorite movie of that year so oh that's very cool but the rest of it i, I can totally see what you're saying like it's it was it's kind of like every time they adapt it and they can't do like jaws or freddy krueger it's like oh yeah 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 so, oh, so that was yeah, the biggest cool thing would that be, be? It could become Freddy Krueger. Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Or it does in the original book. Doesn't he see Rodan at one point? Isn't isn't he like one of the kids attacked by Rodan? In the there was a there was it Rodan. I think it's Rodan. Yeah, I think it's I think it's literally referenced as Rodan, like the giant bird creature. It's been so long. Um, Yeah, I'm a big It fan. I've read that book like way more times than i probably should have for how long it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right rico thank you and uh sorry you are welcome to hang out with us i know xena had a hard out time of like 18 minutes ago uh, <laughs> so we should probably say goodbye to xena you are welcome to continue hanging out with us if you want but i just uh, i wanted you to come on long enough to to uh to talk a little ready player one with us so uh and uh, by the way, that that invitation is real. If you want to chat, uh, Woman in Black Two with us next week, we would love to have you on. <laughs> I, hey, I, I will take you up on that offer. I'm just a little fearful that I'll see more um, clothing items around the neighborhood. <laughs> so that, like, I'm dead serious. It happened as soon as I saw that. The movie's movie. gonna curse you. Yeah, that's the thing. We got to be careful of that. We don't want to yeah. do that to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for coming on, and we will uh, we will we'll consult later to figure out when to uh, when to schedule that uh, that next chat. Or if you want, you can come on for the uh, the lodge, which is um, it's a grim movie. It's a grim movie. It's not going to be a fun final Hammer Pub app, but uh, but one of them you definitely got to come back on for. Gotcha. Yeah, I appreciate cool. you guys. Thank you. And thank yeah. you guys. Good talking to you, man. Good meeting you. What about me? <laughs> Wait, we're, we're 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 circling back around, Zena, to do the big wrap up. I just wanted to uh, say, 
thank you so much for coming on for participating in our quiet ones commentary uh we didn't get the chance to really say but i i, I feel like we 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 all sort of landed in the same place but overall xena thumbs up thumbs down how did you feel about the movie give it a thumbs up i know that it's ridiculous um because there's just like a lot of stuff that was going on that they were throwing at us um i think that they just probably try to do a little bit too much but i think that you should at least check it out once i think that's fair and ali paul we've already kind of talked about it but are are i i feel like i started out the commentary with like a, a tentative thumbs up and now like i'm not a thumbs down but i'm kind of like a hand flat out palm to the floor shaking it back and forth eh you know what i mean so how how do you both feel Allie goes first okay um <laughs> eh, i mean i'm not your boss <laughs> if you want to watch it go ahead and watch it but i'm not gonna watch it again i think i'm over it happy i didn't purchase it <laughs> Uh, that was that was a dig at me for spending eight dollars on it <laughs> when, when it was on when Hulu. I could have watched it on Hulu for free. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm very much in the eh category. I did not hate it. I think there are things in it worth seeing, uh, particularly Olivia Cook's performance and Jared Harris's performance. Um, there are some Hammer vibes that I enjoyed. I'm always going to have fun with like a decrepit sort of secluded manner. And creepy things happening there that that makes me happy. But um, as we said at the beginning of the new Hammer releases, this definitely ranks at the bottom for me. Yeah. All right, uh, Paul. Uh, one last question I got to ask you. Um, even even though you just said that, and even though you did not appreciate the fact that you had to buy the movie when it was free on Hulu, let's be honest here. <laughs> You're gonna buy the Blu-ray at some point. Don't aren't you? even talk about. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking uh, because I'm a completist. I'm gonna have to find and and the fact that it's out of print makes me want it even more, which bothers me to no end. Because I'm just I'm I'm broken inside. I need to. I just have this weird addiction. I have to buy Blu-rays. I can't stop. And I will now be on the lookout for this in used stores. I I won't deny it. <laughs> All right, Zena, why don't you tell listeners out there where they can find you at online and uh, what we can keep an eye out for from you in the future? But wait, I have a question. And I know oh, like, hey, I, I got to go, but then here I am. Um, <laughs> okay, so say if someone, someone like myself, is new to Hammer films, ah, could you okay. each, like recommend a movie for me to check out? Ooh. Can I recommend a franchise? Yes, you can. Every Frankenstein movie they did, and I will send you a list in what order to watch them in because it wouldn't okay. be necessarily chronological. You got to swap the last two, but um, but yeah, Frankenstein is where it's at, and the first two Dracula movies. Uh, that's okay. probably the best. Like, starting. you just recommended nine movies. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, recommend one. Okay, I recommended nine. You movies, took all but, the good ones. Yeah, but, what the hell, man? But am I wrong? No. no. I mean, Curse of Frankenstein, Horror of Dracula would be like the must-sees yeah, initially, exactly. I would I would say. But Allie, go ahead and recommend one, and then I'll, then I'll throw one out. Um, now, I have to think about this for a hot minute. You have to go first. Okay. Um, all right, Zena, when you're, when you're watching these movies, you're going to see a name pop up a lot. 
uh, especially in the early Hammer stuff, uh, Terrence Fisher was a, a prolific Hammer director. Um, and I would recommend, since Jake's recommended nine, I'm going to recommend two. Okay. Uh, I'm going to recommend Phantom of the Opera, the Hammer Phantom of the Opera. Okay. And a movie that Jinx is not a huge fan of, but I love, Curse of the Werewolf. <laughs> I think wow. those two, if, 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 we, if we're taking the Dracula, you know, the Christopher Lee Dracula and the Peter Cushing Frankenstein sort of out of the mix, those would be the other two I would sort of point you towards that show you kind of the what Hammer's all about. I think... I think like it or, or not, Jinx, Curse of the Werewolf is very indicative of what Hammer was doing at that time. Um, and, and sort of the the grand sweeping storytelling that they were doing in, in a limited budget category. Yeah, I will um, say, with a yeah, lot of really yeah. interesting themes. To be fair, to be fair to that movie and to be fair to Paul, Xena, when you sit down to watch the Curse of the Werewolf, watch Quatermass in the Pit instead. <laughs> I love Curse of the Werewolf. That's my recommendation. And Phantom of the Opera is amazing. It's the best Phantom. To be fair to Paul, Phantom of the Opera is amazing. So, a lot of stuff Yeah. <laughs> Allie, how about you? Um, just to witness fun ladies having fun, you should watch Countess Dracula. Yeah, okay. Uh, or lust for a vampire. Wow, lust for a vampire. That's awesome. I, I love this. I know I shit on that film, but like I'm the very movie, proud of you, Ellie. Like, <laughs> I just wanted to be a musical That's so amazing. bad. It, okay. I like Can that I, you went with that over vampire lovers. Like you, you went lust. Love that. <laughs> hey, that's got Ralph Bates. So I mean, oh, Zena, what are we talking about? Yeah, no. Can I say I one Ralph thing? Bates about Allie's recommendation less for a vampire that I and the fact that I love that she recommended that is that even though it is not a very good movie at all it really does it in the weirdest way it encapsulates everything that Hammer was at that time stylistically so that if you watch that movie even though it's not very good if you watched it I think you would get Hammer if that makes sense Allie Paul would you say that's fair you can get hammered yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, no, I, I would agree. And you know, Hammer's a really amazing thing to get into. And like each they have different eras and things like that. And so I think it's a really rewarding experience to kind of like dive into their, their filmography. And then you'll kind of see like they were so influential to the horror that ended up defining American horror in the seventies and eighties. Like it's crazy mm. how many of their movies ended up being so instrumental to other filmmakers, yeah. but like it was never super clear at the time because it was hard to see those movies. So I, I, I think like historically, it's it's really interesting to kind of dive into their stuff. Definitely like Fright Night and Sleepy Hollow definitely feel like latter day. Oh, yeah. Movies, well, yeah, so. for sure. Night of the Living Dead, even Plague of the Zombies. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's another one. I'm going to recommend a third one. Plague of the Zombies. So what's going to happen, Zena, is you asked for one recommendation, and we're just going to continue sending you recommendations <laughs> until we've covered every yeah, single Yeah, just watch release. them all. We're going Zena, to I'm really Hammer excited. 
Zena, will you message me when you do when you inevitably talk about Hammer movies on the Blade Disgusting podcast so I can be prepared? Yes, and I'll, I'll give <laughs> I want. I can't wait to hear because I'm I'm awesome. really excited because it's like I've tried in the past, and not that I I thought it was bad or anything. It's just you you know how it is sometimes. Like yeah, you yeah, put yeah. It on to go to sleep, or then you end up start doing something else. And then with everything that's been going on, I've just been rewatching Ice Cream Man. So. But now I have like a list of, of movies to, to watch. So I'm Amazing. excited. Okay. Xena, uh, awesome. I will, if I have to boil my nine movies down to one, I will say watch Brides of Dracula. Okay. Really? Not yeah. Curse? Nah. Nah. I, I would say just as a primer to start somebody out, I would say Brides of Dracula because it, Bri- that's Brides, where I started. Yeah. So. If you're going to watch any Dracula movie, it should probably be Brides. And then it should be the it. one without Christopher Lee in it, weirdly enough. Weirdly. Yeah. Weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And if, and, but I would say with Frankenstein, start with Curse. I think okay. Curse is where you begin. I think that's the right place. Yeah. All right. Just jotting that down. Thank you all <laughs> so much. And I'll, I'll definitely keep you updated on my hammer journey. Yay. Thank you so much. And uh, that's the we whole only point have... of this podcast. <laughs> to get we have two it. movies left, and I know we invited Rico oh. on for one of them, but you are welcome back. Oh, and as we well. have a guest. We do have a guest for uh, The Lodge, remember? Oh, Phil. Oh, that's okay. So we may have a couple of people in the pub that night. You know what? We should actually try and get as many people as possible into that last episode because one, it's going to be our last, honest to goodness like hammer movie that we talk about weird but because (laughs) it's such a heavy movie we should just have like a packed house it feels right that we would have loads of people and have it be kind of a party atmosphere to counter the grimness of that movie but also to see off this uh this leg of this podcast so one of the uh, only uh new hammers i saw in a theater too which is crazy yeah it's crazy. Zena, we have kept you way too long. We are so sorry, but thank you so much for coming on and for agreeing to chat about this movie. We can't wait to hear what you do with, uh, you know, with the recommendations that we've given you. I personally can't wait to see where your, uh, your hammer journey takes you. Now, before you go, again, if we can go back to it, where can folks find you at online and what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? Uh... <laughs> sure. So you can find me on Twitter, lovely Zena. I'm also on Instagram. Um, Facebook, YouTube, Real Queen of Horror, or you can check out realqueenofhorror.com or check out my podcast. I'm a co-host on the Bloody Disgusting Weekly Podcast where I give you recommendations. And I do have some cool things coming up um, for right now, which I don't know why I didn't say this in the beginning. I think I was just really happy just to be here. But um, yeah, I'm also a producer on uh, Mental Health and Horror, a documentary. So stay tuned. because We have some awesome news coming soon. So just keep an, an eye out on our social medias. Which is you just type in mental health and horror on on Twitter. You'll you'll find us. Thank you. That's so cool. All right, I'm thank you so really much. Excited for that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no. I uh, I contributed to the the donation campaign on that movie, so I'm I'm pretty psyched. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, no, no. I'm I'm I believe in the project. I think it's awesome, and uh, I can't wait to see it. So. Gosh, so so excited. Yeah, they've we've already been going through. Um, some of the interviews and it, it's truly super inspiring, you know, um, just hearing people's stories and their, their connection to horror, like, cause you hear it, you know, but it's just like, really, when you just hear everyone's different stories, it's, it's just, it's awesome. I, I can't wait for, for everyone to see it. Yeah. 
So cool. All right, Allie and Paul. Uh, Allie going first, of course. <laughs> Where can folks find you at online, and what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? Uh, you can find me on all social media platforms at the Allie Chapel, uh, especially on that TikTok. Definitely get up on that TikTok. Um, I'm making terrible videos on there. And what can you look out for me in the future? Um, I heard you made a movie. I did. That's like <laughs> which we probably talked about at the beginning of this episode. I don't know. <laughs> probably, but who knows? That was so long ago. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited about that movie. It's called The Day Lacey Called, and I'm pretty sure it'll be out in the fall. So you have six months. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just chilling in Toronto. Hit me up. What's what, what you all saying? Always down to work or hang out. <laughs> All right, Paul, how about you? Uh, I am at the always modest Twitter handle at Paul is great 2000. Uh, and you can find me there tweeting about horror movies and other things that I like. <laughs> and I'm on Instagram too, I guess. I just, I need to get more involved over there. But yeah, that's where I am. Good deal. All right, Zena, thank you. Ali, Paul, thank you. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Screamatics, and I am at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend. <laughs>